Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your 2023 WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. That's right, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, is back. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, and we are here to break down everything that is going to happen at WWE SummerSlam this coming Saturday night from Detroit. We have a loaded show for you, as always. The good, the bad, and the ugly breaking down everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week in the world of WWE. And then that SummerSlam Ultimate Preview, where we will discuss every single match on the card with predictions analysis and much more. You do not want to miss any second of this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. With that said, let's kick this show off as we always do with a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, especially this week, Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage and for getting over. Please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And wouldn't you know it, we have two new five-star reviews to go over right now. First, from BHB Mike, who thankfully corrected his review last week where he said it was a five-star review, but he only clicked the two stars on the thing. You can't do that. You guys got to be careful. But he corrected it. It says five stars now. He said he happens to love the number five. Without a doubt, the best podcast for all your wrestling coverage. Keep up to date with all the hours of wrestling can be difficult, but the way they break it down each show and match, the detail and opinion, the interviews, the sheer amount of episodes to cover it all make this podcast shine far brighter than the other wrestling shows available. To put it simply, it's the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Thank you, BHB Mike, for that sterling review. Now, you may have forgotten we are a Shawn Michaels show, not a Bret Hart show, but we do respect the hitman, obviously, and I still appreciate that very much. It's very kind of you to say. We also got a five-star review from B. Patrick. Uh, Silver King delivers great analysis of WWE and AEW every week. This podcast is awesome. Keep up the great work. So to both of you, I not only say thank you, I acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that. Plus, given this is a premium live event week, you are going to be wanting to follow us so you can vote in our pre and post show polls for WWE SummerSlam. You guys will be able to give us your pre-show expectation grade and your post-show grade, and we will discuss those on our Instant Reaction podcast coming Saturday night as soon as SummerSlam goes off the air. I do have one more reminder before we get into the show, of course, and that is... I happen to love the number five. And I truly hope that you do as well, because for just five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can join us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, become an official getting over head. Not only do you get bonus audio three to four times a week, not only do you get news posts with the latest in WWE, and we are trying to add AEW news to that as well, but that contribution directly supports the show. 
myself, the Silver King, and of course, Vintage Chris Vanini, who will be along momentarily. And I do want to thank three of you who have become new official getting overheads in the last couple of days. First, Brendan Biesinger, who signed up for a full year. He said, love the show, guys. Thanks for all the hard work. Andrew Larson said, we are the cream of the professional wrestling podcast crop. Oh, yeah. And then Armin Tazarian said, you guys helped shepherd me into wrestling fandom and learn that it's all about the five. Armin, I love that. I'm actually curious to know what you mean by that. Were you not a wrestling fan before you listened to the show? Did you become a better fan, a smarter fan? Like, I'm curious about that. So go ahead, send us an email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com or reach out to us through that Buy Me A Coffee platform, buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. I'd love to discuss that more. Chris, what do we want to do for these guys? We don't just want to say thank you. We need to acknowledge them. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. All right. So that was a lot to kick us start the show. Chris, you are going to SummerSlam this week in Detroit. Uh, you know, seeing the go home from Raw on Monday night, uh, SmackDown this past Friday. Obviously, the go home for SmackDown is coming up this Friday. Uh, what's your level of excitement for this pay-per-view, premium live event, whatever you want to call it? It's extremely high, but that's just because I'm going. And so there's kind of a bias there. You know, like I, I was thinking, you know, we started this podcast early 2020, right when everything shut down. Mm -hmm. And 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 since wrestling has come back, you haven't been to a lot. You haven't been to a live wrestling show yet, have you? I haven't had it. About this. I haven't. I, I, I've had basically zero opportunity. So, I mean, I'm not saying that no shows have come down here, but here's my situation. So I'm in South Florida. Okay. The best arena to watch wrestling near me is in Sunrise, Florida. It's the Florida Panthers arena. Right. Um, there's been one Dynamite that went there. I think it was the night before the NFL draft. I could not go. WWE has not come to that arena. There are also two arenas further south in Miami. One is where the Miami Heat play. It's a shitty arena, number one. Two, there has not been an event there that I've deemed worthy of going to. I think maybe it was a Raw, potentially. And the couple shows that AEW ran at the tail end of, I guess, the most dangerous part of the pandemic, since it's still technically not really over. Um, but those shows were little dynamites. You'll remember they're the ones where Dan Lambert was there and got a lot of heat. They were there like two times in four months or something like that. I wasn't ready to go watch wrestling. And then any other show that's happened has been in Orlando or Tampa, which is like a three hour drive or more for me. And I'm only going to make that drive if it is like the Royal Rumble, which, yeah. by the way, spoiler alert, might be coming to Orlando or Tampa in January. So I will potentially be going to that. But so I haven't really had the opportunity to like go see a wrestling show that I've badly wanted to go to. You, meanwhile, living in Texas, someone who frequently goes to Michigan, the world is your oyster, apparently. Everything comes to you for the last two years. Yeah, I got WrestleMania here last year, a couple dynamites. I went up to Blood and Guts in Detroit. I'm going back up for a summer slam, and I'm excited. And it was great hearing all those reviews and and, and, and getting overheads and everybody contributing to, to buy me a cup of coffee. I've had a couple of people reach out about like a, a get together or something um, in Detroit. I, I'm just going to be there with my brother and I think my dad. So no formal get together. But if anybody is at SummerSlam and wants to say hi, shoot me a DM on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Would love to meet up and say hi. I remember I did that with somebody at uh, Money in the Bank. Oh, that was the other one. Money in the Bank, the first pay-per-view after everybody came back. So, uh, yeah, anybody who's in Detroit for SummerSlam weekend, hit me up at the show. I'll try to come by and say hi. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It, it, it. WWE has been 
hitting almost every single time they do these big shows since Triple H took over. And I'm expecting a really good show because of that. Even if Raw was, yeah, it was not great. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to Raw in a moment. Uh, you also, by the way, got to see the G1 Climax that they randomly held in America one of those nights right before the pandemic. And the, yes. I'm also realizing that the only other event that came down was WrestleMania, um, the first live show that WWE did when they came back for WrestleMania. But I wasn't going to that. I just there was no way I was going to go. It wasn't a great card. It was in Tampa. I just I couldn't justify getting up there. So, yeah, the, I've I've it's been like everything possible that's been against me going to a wrestling show since we've started this podcast. Obviously, before that, I've been to you know dozens, including many WrestleManias. I will tell you. Uh, not only do I want to go to the Royal Rumble in January, I do believe it's going to be in Tampa or Orlando. But I am pinpointing right now WrestleMania 40. What do you think about going to Philly? I'm probably not going to pay my own way there. It's outside change. Maybe, maybe the athletic sends me. They did not send me this year, even though it was my idea to cover it. So <laughs> we will uh, we will see. Yeah, I uh, unlikely. I was sent to three straight WrestleManias, but we kind of paired back that as well. So I don't think I'm going to get sent corporately, but I've never been to Philly. I've never been to Washington, D.C., which is two hours, I think, south, let's call it, or maybe southeast. Um, I'm seriously considering doing that next year. Like, I very badly want to go to both those cities and WrestleMania 40. I mm -hmm. mean, we know the card that is possible, what might come up there, so. Very excited about that. But let's get to Raw. You mentioned it. Look, as far as I'm concerned, Chris, Triple H has a go-home show problem. He just does. There's no other mm -hmm. way to explain how Raw has been legitimately tremendous the three prior weeks. I mean, you guys hear this podcast. I've been praising Raw as the best wrestling show, the most consistent show that we've gotten in a long time across any brand and loved last week's episode. Two weeks ago, very, very much liked it. This Monday, I straight up felt like a waste of time. Three hours of waste of time. There was zero build for the Intercontinental or World Heavyweight Championship matches. We didn't hear from Drew McIntyre, who wasn't even there, or Seth Rollins, who was there, did not speak on the show. Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar, they aisled in place. They accomplished nothing from their segment. Two women's matches we expected to be confirmed for the show, at least one that we expected to be confirmed, are not on the card. That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do on a go-home show. If you're not going to have huge matches on your second biggest show of the year, you should be making that clear weeks earlier, not on the go-home show to that premium live event. We also barely got Judgment Day on Monday night, which is the one act that has been insanely over throughout July. We saw them early, and then we saw them late, and nothing happened in between. No backstage segments, not them interfering in other matches, nothing. TV, by the way, barely went backstage at all. That's been one of the most exciting parts about Raw recently. I would blame the crowd somewhat because Houston was rough, but they weren't given that much to cheer about. So it's not really their fault. It was just a downer of a show. It was the first time in a long time that I thought SmackDown this past Friday was the clearly superior episode to a Raw. Now, that might partially be because last Friday was not the go-home SmackDown. And if I'm of this mindset where Triple H is struggling on go-home shows, it would make sense for the penultimate branded show to be better than the go-home. And that's coming this week. So maybe that will be a struggle bus as well. I'm still excited for SummerSlam. It's a damn strong card. 
It's just not as strong as I expected it to be a few weeks ago. And again, this is now a consistent trend of TV running really hot until the final week where everything just kind of seems to get set to a simmer. I'm surprised at the low caliber of Raw that we got Monday night. Yeah, I mean, we got, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we got the uh, kind of highlights of Jay and Roman twice on Raw. I don't I think, they showed think it we twice. got it twice. I think we got one full package, and then as they were previewing SummerSlam, they did a very short clip. I don't think we got it twice. Okay. Yeah, like, we got that. We got two Ronda Shayna videos, which were good, mm-hmm. but it was two, two of them on one show. We got a yet another tag team match to close the show with no stakes, which is a thing I've talked about quite a bit now. Yeah, it just felt like the show ended, and I was like, wait a minute, that was the go-home show. <laughs> I didn't even realize it because it didn't even feel like it. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, with all the the bad blood between Seth and Finn, like, if you're going to close with a World Heavyweight Championship type of, storyline to finish that's not getting me excited for seth finn you know at SummerSlam. right so yeah right. it's yeah it, it ultimately doesn't change my opinion of SummerSlam because again wwe does really well on these shows i think it's going to be a good show but you're right it was strange to kind of close out your last chapter before the show like that you know when you watch like food competition shows or even the the bear on Hulu for anyone who has watched that. It's incredible TV. You guys definitely should be watching it. But a chef creates a beautiful plate of food, right? What's the last thing they do? They take a napkin and they wipe off the smudges, right? They clear it up so that the presentation is great as it can be for the customer. That's what go-home shows generally are. It's putting that little bit of sea salt on top or cleaning up the plate. It's making the presentation as great as it possibly can be to entice you, the customer, to buy the pay-per-view or, you know, view the premium live event on Peacock in this case. They just didn't really do that. Like, I know Drew McIntyre is shooting a movie or was, and that's why he missed a couple weeks ago. Maybe that's again why he missed this week. But you have this big build with Gunther, and you've shoved it into a three-week storyline, four-week storyline into a one-week window. Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, you mentioned, was running really hot. I mean, the stuff that we've gotten from them, we talked about it before Money in the Bank. We're like, hey, you know, the story's not great. And then all of a sudden they built it crazy strong over the final couple of weeks. It seemed like they were doing that here. And don't get me wrong, the build is still really good for it. But they had a chance to put that finishing touch on. They didn't. They had a chance to put a finishing touch on Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes with the stipulation. They didn't. We've been expecting that or hoping for it. Didn't get that. And again, it just felt like, the wheels were spinning in place on Monday night. Is that the worst thing? No, it's better for the wheels to spin in place than for the car to go backwards. And there's been many times where we've had terrible go-home shows, you know, prior to Triple H having the book or just terrible Raws where you're like, I cannot believe I'm even giving them three hours. I didn't feel Monday night like I wasted my time. I just felt like nothing really happened. Like it's one of those episodes of TV if you're watching like a long-running drama where you're just like, all right, so the story didn't move forward and we're at the same spot as we were a week ago. That's how I felt coming out of Raw on Monday. Yep, I agree. All right, now folks, there is not gonna be a main event on today's show, primarily for time reasons. We did have two topics planned for a co-main event. The first was one year of Triple H holding the book. That's gonna be better discussed after SummerSlam because unlike last year where he was not responsible for the build of the show, he was responsible for this year's SummerSlam build. So it's gonna be an entire year of him being the primary booker, and obviously we're going to get to see a SummerSlam of his. We'll be able to compare it directly 
with a SummerSlam that was maybe 50-50, let's say it, a year ago. Um, also, it's just when we do those WWE shows after premium live events, we generally have less to talk about from TV coming in because SmackDown is going to be building to SummerSlam. We discussed that on the Instant Reaction. So we'll have more time next week to discuss Triple H. We'll also have more time next week to discuss American Nightmare Becoming Cody Rhodes, the documentary that aired on Peacock. Chris and I both watched it on Monday, but we realized not all of you may have been able to watch it inside of 24 hours. So we're going to discuss all of that on next week's show. Instead, this week, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Of course, the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. So let's start, not as we always do, but with a segment that you all know and love. It is indeed the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, so let's break down everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw that does not directly have to do with SummerSlam itself. Judgment Day opened hour two of Raw with Rhea Ripley getting a huge ovation. They agreed no one will stop them as a group. Dominic Mysterio then obviously got booed to hell with Ripley talking shit about erasing Liv Morgan and telling anyone who wants to step to them to act like Raquel Rodriguez, go run and hide. That, of course, brought Raquel out with a brace on her knee. She brawled with Rhea. Rodriguez kind of dominated her, actually. She drove her into the post and barricade. Dom distracted. Rhea took that opportunity to take out Raquel's knee from behind and then stomped it while there were trainers and officials around both of them. I do think there were piped in boos at the end of this for the first time in a while. I actually didn't think it was that terrible because they really wanted to clarify the face heel dynamic and Ripley is legitimately over as a heel. Because of that, it was a silent type of beatdown because they didn't want to cheer against Raquel, but they also didn't want to cheer for Rhea. So they just Watched it all happen. Uh, Raquel sold the knee backstage. Adam Pierce said she's not cleared, but he did promise the second she is cleared, Raquel will get a title match against Rhea, and she did not protest that. So look, not having Ripley on the SummerSlam card, it sucks. Clearly, something happened with their plans involving her with Rodriguez and or Liv Morgan. I continue to believe the plan was Ripley Morgan, with the storyline being that Liv was fighting on behalf of Raquel, who was selling the knee injury. I'm guessing they did the segment Monday to explain why the match was not happening as Rodriguez was never technically ruled out completely. The attack was nowhere near as great as what happened with Liv last week. You all know how much I loved that. But unlike with Liv, who's going to miss a long time and they needed to write her off with a vicious attack, Raquel is not actually injured or at least not injured to a degree where she won't be able to compete next month and beyond. It was still good. It got the job done. It made Rodriguez look like a legitimate challenger while simultaneously extending their storyline past SummerSlam. Do I love that Ripley's not on SummerSlam? No, but sometimes shit happens. Yeah, one of two instances where they made clear a women's matches is not happening on the card. I, I thought this beatdown was actually pretty good. I thought the stomps on the knee were pretty vicious and Raquel sold it well. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give the segment a good in terms of what they did. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm disappointed it's not on the show. I'm disappointed Rhea's not on the show. So two sides of that. Right. So let's move to that other situation in which something similar happened. 
Becky Lynch was the first big segment in hour three. She called out Trish Stratus saying they've done their talking and all of their fighting. It was time to just go in the ring. Stratus answered saying Lynch would get her match as promised because she beat Zoe Stark, but it would be on Trish's time. She got cheap heat calling the Astros cheaters. No lies detected there. Trish cited her broken nose as a reason for the match to be delayed, but Pierce interrupted saying the match would happen immediately. So Lynch drilled Stratus in the face right at the bell. Stark immediately forced the disqualification. Becky fought them one on two. She was about to manhandle slam Trish into the timekeepers area when Zoe made the save. Stratus hit Bex with the chair and that pretty much ended the entire thing. Pierce backstage called the heels antics unacceptable. Stratus said, hey, look, I needed more time. You made this match without consulting me. He agreed to give it to her in two weeks, putting the match on Raw in Canada. And I think everyone watching expected him backstage to say, fine, you need more time. You can fight her Saturday at SummerSlam. I, w- I would assume 100% of viewers watching Raw expected that to be the announcement. Now, I do want to have a deeper conversation about this match not being on SummerSlam and how this injury trend with the women's division on Raw has now affected three feuds. But let's first talk about the segment, get that out of the way. It was good enough to push the feud off. I liked the brawl that we got around the ring. I did find it stupid for Pierce, the authority figure, trying to book the best possible matches on the best possible shows to twice schedule a match between a Hall of Famer and a future Hall of Famer for Raw, one randomly on Monday without any promotion and not, you know, SummerSlam. If you're the authority figure booking the match, you should want the match on SummerSlam, right? No executive would ever do that. Now, they should have had Stratus demand home field advantage in Canada prior to Pierce just giving it to her. That would have been reasoning for it being on Raw instead of SummerSlam coming from the wrestler rather than the authority figure doing it for really no good reason whatsoever. So again, I didn't find much wrong with the segment itself between Trish and Becky, what we got around the ring. I just didn't love the backstage part with Pierce. And we can talk more in a minute about the actual booking of the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, I I give it a bad just because like just being in that position where you have to come up with something, sure, but but it was just strange, like you said, to do it on Raw, then to not announce it for SummerSlam, to do it on Raw again, just weird. But like to the point, it was like, hey, we've done all this. Let's have the Becky Trish fight now. Boom. Okay, like that's good. But getting there and doing it this way was a bit strange. And I just left disappointed that it's not happening at SummerSlam. And again, the way they set it up on TV was for the viewer to expect Okay, fine. Yeah. It'll be Saturday. And then everyone's happy, yeah. you know, so they 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 brought us right to the, the edge and they said, oh, no, no, we're going to blue ball you. You're going to have to wait for it. So, look, fans blew up at this Monday night, some for good reason, others not. The overall sentiment was something along the lines of, I can't believe Triple H pushed Becky and Trish off SummerSlam for a stupid battle royal. Now, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Let me say first, that is not what happened. And that battle royal, by the way, involves a guy who you all have been screaming to get on the SummerSlam card for weeks now. Even if that was the case, which again, it's not, the card would have been too big and something else would have needed to be cut. You know what that meme? Oh no, if it's not the consequences of my own actions, well, this would have fit that if that was the case. But again, that's not the reason. What everyone needs to remember is injuries have completely doomed this women's division since before WrestleMania. Not everything happens in a one or two week vacuum. Okay. 
Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler both separately got injured, which derailed the women's tag team title storyline and feud. That included not only Becky and Lita, but Trish. They couldn't get that match on the card. So they elongated the run, delayed the start of Becky and Trish until after WrestleMania. They changed the titles to Liv and Raquel on Raw the next week, you may remember. Then Liv hurts her shoulder and they have to relinquish the titles. So because of that, Ronda and Shayna's long title run with the tag team titles got rushed. They had to rush the unification also. It was cut to basically a third of its planned length, their title run. Because of those circumstances, WWE wanted a quality team to beat someone of their stature. They weren't going to have the KCs beat Ronda and Shayna. So they took Liv Morgan, a former women's champion, and Raquel Rodriguez, a former NXT women's champion, brought them back, used them as transitional champions to get the titles off Ronda and Shayna so they could build Ronda and Shayna for their singles feud at SummerSlam. While this is happening, Becky got injured twice. Trish broke her nose at Money in the Bank. So they get the titles off the faces so that Liv and Raquel can then move into a feud with who? The top woman in the company right now, Rhea Ripley. Now, this part I'm not 100% sure about, but I'm pretty sure the angle is that Rhea injures Raquel's knee, Liv fights Rhea at SummerSlam in a rivalry match, then Ripley moves on to a multi-month program with Rodriguez. Except Liv re-injured her shoulder. Now that matches off because they aren't going to rush Ripley and Rodriguez for SummerSlam. Why? Because the next major contender after Rodriguez is Becky Lynch, who seems pretty planned for WrestleMania, given all the teases they've given us, but since before WrestleMania or, or at WrestleMania. Now, why exactly was Becky Trish pushed from SummerSlam? I don't have a concrete answer for you. It might have been time. It might have been Trish's nose is not fully healed. But let's remember, this feud was supposed to be over already. Nothing is timing out properly. Let's also remember what match was pulled off last year's SummerSlam card that we were up in arms about. Seth Rollins against Matt Riddle. I wonder how Becky's husband is doing right now in WWE, okay? What I do know is WWE planned four women's matches for SummerSlam. Now they're only holding two of them. So do you want to deride them for shit happening that was out of their control or maybe making one decision that you didn't love? Or do you perhaps want to praise them or at least acknowledge that they tried and planned to put four women's matches on their second biggest card of the year, a single night card, mind you. I will also tell you how this fairy tale is going to go for the IWC over the next few months. Triple H doesn't care about the women's division, except he tried to book four women's matches, two non-title for SummerSlam, and the women right now are getting way more time and way better storylines on TV than they were before WrestleMania. Triple H hates Becky Lynch, except she won the tag team titles with her idol, paired with her at WrestleMania, moved into a feud with a legend, and is now clearly Rhea's top contender for WrestleMania 40, or at least the Royal Rumble going into I don't think, anybody, I don't think anybody's going to say that. I don't think anybody's going to claim They're saying it. They're saying it all (laughs) over Twitter and Reddit right now. Triple H hates Becky, doesn't know how to book her, doesn't think she's a star. That's what they're saying right now. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Becky is eventually going to beat Trish. She'll probably move into another second program. Those growls are going to get even louder. And then Becky will get her number one contendership for Rhea. And fans will say, oh my God, Triple H finally listened to us and booked Becky right when it's been the plan all along. 
Now, look, might I be wrong about this, Chris? Anything is possible. But in the history of this show, how often is that the case? Not bloody frequently. The long and short of it is Becky and Trish was not originally planned for a random Raw. And the entire division has been hamstrung by injuries that have screwed up plans time and time again for months now. If you want to criticize Triple H for not adjusting better, there's legitimacy to that. I'll take that. But a lot of the shit that I've seen thrown around since 10 p.m. last night has just been that. Shit. Yeah, I I think my biggest surprise about a lot of this is that um, there's not more on the the SummerSlam SmackDown the Friday before. We've got the U.S. title match then, but... You kind of wondered, hey, no, this that's is the a week one after. night show. That's the week after, dude. I feel like you have a lot. That's next week. What do you mean? U.S. championship matches next week. So in two weeks, we're getting the- Oh, did they? I missed that. Correct. It's going to be the United what? States championship the Friday after SummerSlam. And then it's okay, going this, to be- This, this the, makes my point even more. Yeah, then, then it's going to be uh, Becky Lynch and Trish I don't, Monday after that. Yeah. That I don't understand why things are not happening on the SmackDown before SummerSlam. That seems like, hey, if you felt like there's too much you can't fit into SummerSlam, you throw a lot of it onto SmackDown and they're not doing any of that. That's weird as well. Do you agree with the general thesis of what I'm putting out there, though? The injuries, yes. How people are reacting, I don't know. Look, we have said for a while that we didn't like the way Triple H was booking the women's division. Absolutely. That has changed post-WrestleMania. It's gotten a lot better Yes, the injuries have messed it all up. So, yes, that that is what's going to happen. It's unfortunate it's playing out this way. But, yes, Becky Lynch is a star. We know she's a star. She'll be in a women's title match at WrestleMania. I'm not worried about her, just like I wasn't worried about LA Knight, which we'll get to. Like, That's an exact perfect – yeah, like, that's a perfect you parallel. Can, I, yeah. We've reached the point where you can trust what they're doing. If something doesn't happen the way you expect – there's probably a reason for that. Exactly. They're not willy-nilly just taking Becky Lynch off of SummerSlam for whatever reason. Just like they didn't do it with Seth Rollins last year. The reason they did it is they didn't feel the storyline was built strongly enough. They pushed it off, and it ended up working out quite well. And now Seth Rollins is the world heavyweight champion and one of the top guys in the company. They had to rebuild him because he was losing everything as a heel. You have to remember like the situation with Seth Rollins a year ago at this time. So... You know, it's the same thing with Becky. People were pissed that she was a heel. So Triple H made her a baby face again. And she's been telling the story. For, like, I literally got tweets from someone saying Becky has done nothing since last year's SummerSlam. Like, how do you not realize she literally tagged with her idol, was partnered with her at WrestleMania, and is in a feud with Trish Stratus? She's only well, missed one. She's this, a, Becky Lynch, in terms of the major premium live events, she's only missed one of them. And it was Elimination Chamber. And she had no reason to be on that card. Well, this has been the Becky thing for a bit. When she reached the man level, when she main evented WrestleMania, she reached a level where if you're not in the title picture, it feels like you're not doing anything. Because she's so good, because she's so popular, you feel like she has to be in that picture the whole time. And when she's not, you feel like they're not doing anything with her. That is not the case. They are doing things with her, and they are elevating a whole new class of women, which is good. But I can understand if you're a Becky Lynch fan being like, hey... She hasn't been around the title for a while, and I want to see her back around the title. That's fair. Sure. I just think we are going to get there clearly. And guess who wasn't around the title either for a while? Seth Rollins, much longer than Becky Lynch. Let me tell you that. But you you guys can't have it both ways. You can't say, you know, we really want this women's division to develop with non-title feuds because they don't do enough of those. If there's not a title feud, then 
the women are irrelevant to the program. So they put women in the title feuds, at least on Raw. Obviously, on SmackDown, it's a different story. But they put women in the title feuds that perhaps haven't gotten those opportunities. And they're using the bigger names like Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey and, and Lita and Trish Stratus and all these people to develop non-title feuds. That way, fresh talent gets into the title picture and gets featured on TV in other types of segments in the tag team division and all that type of stuff. And your bigger stars are off doing other things, just like with Brock Lesnar. We hated that Brock was around the title for so long, and they finally took him away from the title, and the rest of the men's division benefited from it. That's what they're trying to do with Becky. Obviously, Becky is not Brock. I'm just saying. And then, when the time is right, Becky will return to being part of the championship picture. I mean, do you think Raquel Rodriguez would otherwise be in the title picture right now? Do you think Rhea Ripley would be as big as she is if Becky Lynch was feuding with her now? No, because they had to establish Rhea Ripley first. So like, you guys just can't have it both ways. And just because something doesn't happen exactly the way you want it or exactly when you want it doesn't mean they're not going to do it. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. This is not Vince McMahon with the book. And by the way, no, Triple H is not a perfect booker. He has his flaws and we will discuss those next week on this show. But he is night and day better than Vince. And if you don't see that, or you just want to find things to criticize, then I don't really know what to tell you. Chris, one of the reasons I believe there was so much angst Monday about this booking, you mentioned it, I mentioned it. It's they waited until the last moment to push it off SummerSlam. You're supposed to use right. a go-home, as we've mentioned, to book final matches, up the ante, and polish what's already on the card. Monday night did the opposite of that. It took away matches that fans hoped would be on SummerSlam, or at least superstars that fans hoped would be on SummerSlam. We learned Monday, Rhea Ripley will not be on the card, Becky Lynch will not be on the card, and Trish Stratus will not be on the card. And by the way, also Sami Zayn and Damian Priest and Kevin Owens, but KO's hurt, that's a different story. Rather than raising the rent for what is actually gonna be on the card. And I think that in a nutshell is why people were so pissed about this, the timing of it, and why Raw struggled. That's a good way to put it. And the biggest takeaways from Raw were who's not going to be on the card. And that's frustrating. Yeah. By the way, I just realized that could have been our main event segment, those two things. But alas, they're in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's continue with SmackDown. Rey Mysterio fought Santos Escobar in a United States Championship Invitational match. Let's go ahead and talk about more unfortunate things that happened in WWE this week. Uh, they shook hands before the bell. After a couple minutes, started slapping each other. Michael Cole then trolled Austin Theory for sitting in a suite by himself watching the match. Mysterio put Escobar over the rope with a huracarana. Escobar held on, only to eat a huracarana into the ring apron. He dodged a baseball slide and hit a tope suicida. Back from commercial, we saw Ray's head bounce off the floor on the tope bump, and he was ruled unable to continue competing, presumably due to a concussion. They embraced in the ring. Escobar was announced in the winner and the number one contender. It was initially falsely reported that this was a storyline injury. It was real, as was pretty damn obvious in the moment, given how sudden it seemed, and also the unpolished manner in which the match ended. Generally, if WWE is gonna do a storyline injury, it's gonna feel a lot more manufactured and be a lot more dramatic than this was. Now, going back and watching, it looks like the concussion may have actually happened a couple minutes earlier in the match. You can see both of them slow down. Ray and Santos speak, the referee gets involved, the post-match moment between them, that was real. You could tell Ray was sorry he couldn't finish. 
Santos was sorry that it actually happened. Most important out of all of this is that Ray is okay and doesn't have any long-term concussion symptoms. So we obviously wish him and his family the best. Now, moving to the reality of it for the show. It's an unfortunate situation for Escobar just because he was set up to get a meaningful win for his career over a legend. Yeah, Mysterio has been beaten by a lot of people in this run. It still means something to take him down, especially for a fellow Mexican star who would have earned even more of his respect coming out of the match. And I'm sure it would have played out where Ray like took the one, two, three, then put Santos over in front of the crowd, raised his arm, hugged him, all that stuff. Apparently, there was also a backstage segment planned as well, and that got canceled. So I'm sure the love and support would have continued there. As I said a couple weeks ago, sometimes, Chris, an incomplete grade is necessary. And this is a perfect example of a situation that requires that. It was going good, but it never came to a resolution. It's unfortunate for Ray in reality, unfortunate for Santos and Kayfabe, and that's about it. Yeah, this is a fair thing to do an incomplete grade on. Um, just unfortunate. It, when the stuff came out about it being part of the storyline, I was like, that makes zero sense whatsoever. Like, there would be no reason to do that. The entire point of going with Santos Escobar in the spot over LA Knight is that you want to elevate Santos Escobar and make him a, a, a new Latin American star for your company. Mm-hmm. And a win over Rey Mysterio does that, and you didn't quite get it. And so that uh, was unfortunate. Hope Ray is okay. We move forward. This U.S. title thing gets another, yet another bump in the road. Indeed. Uh, And by the way, you mentioned this earlier, or I mentioned it to you earlier, I should say. The title match is not happening this Friday, but rather in two weeks on the SmackDown after SummerSlam. That piqued my curiosity. Now, I presume that was planned because the graphics seemed like it had already been ready. If not, maybe they made an adjustment to get the Santos and Ray storyline a little extra time to make up for the lack of match mm-hmm. finish. My guess is it was built in to build further storyline for Escobar and Theory this week because you want to create a little bit more tension between them. They've already fought once. Now they go the back and forth, and then next week is the title match. Another option is that if Ray recovers, they could always make this a triple threat. As long as Escobar still pins Theory at the end if he wins the title, then Mysterio's presence could maybe help get over the title win. But Theory is hated enough right now, and Escobar is growing in popularity. He is getting cheered. So I do think that's unnecessary to do a triple threat, at least as far as I'm concerned. Let's move to LA Knight against Ashanti the Adonis. Knight interrupted Hit Row in the ring, saying a bunch of nothing. He clowned Top Dollar for looking like Uncle Phil, rest in peace, and said B-Fab is horny for him, which I just could not believe I heard that on SmackDown on uh, Friday night on Fox. <laughs> Uh, Knight hit a remixed version of his blunt force trauma where he kicks the opponent first like a stunner to get the win in two minutes. The crowd was on fire from start to finish. The move tweak was simultaneously an improvement. Also, though, something that's going to lead more people to calling him a Steve Austin ripoff. It's so similar to Kevin Owens stunner. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Minor note. uh, He has the crowd. L.A. Knight does do the entire end of his catchphrase. L.A. Knight. Yeah. He should change it where he does L.A. Knight and the crowd responds, yeah, especially since the crowd already does the entire thing during the match when he does the elbow move. I just think that would hit a little bit better. Obviously, it was a hot segment for L.A. Good to get him in the ring. I had a note written initially that it would have been better to see a significant storyline develop, but more on that coming up 
in our next segment, the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. Yeah, we'll get into it with the Battle Royal, but we had a big old LA Knight segment last week, and we said, like, mm-hmm. what they do with LA Knight on the next show is so important. I got a I got a voice note last week from a from a football coaching agent who reached out to say, what are they doing with LA Knight? Like everybody's talking about this guy. Everybody's worried about this guy and, and, and not getting pushed and stuff like that. And what do they do? They come back. They give him a big cheer moment. Crowd again jumps to their feet when his music hits. They give him a win and they set up the battle royal, which we'll get into. So we were very concerned about LA Knight last week, but we said, look, we got to see what happens next. They, they know they have something here. One week later, I can say, I still think it's going to be okay. Well, absolutely. Is it going to be okay? Because, I mean, we'll talk about it later. I don't want to like spoil the later part of the show here. But exactly what we talked about last week started happening this week and seems like it's going to be continuing. I think we said not this week, but over the next three weeks, what they do with LA Knight surrounding SummerSlam would be really important. And as of right now, it seems like they're going to be delivering exactly what we talked about. We'll get to that a little bit later. That's a tease for the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. Matt Riddle fought Ludwig Kaiser on Raw. Gunther with Imperium backstage stated his disappointment with Kaiser for not coming through last week against Drew McIntyre. He also offhandedly suggested he still had problems with Giovanni Vinci. He said Kaiser had a chance for redemption against Riddle, and that led to the match. Riddle laid in a forearm way too hard early. Kaiser dropped to the canvas in a way I think everyone probably thought he was concussed. It was just a great sell, luckily. Riddle pulled Kaiser outside with his legs, hit a springboard floating bro at ringside. Kaiser hit a Death Valley driver. They are hysterically calling a Kaiser roll. Uh, Riddle hit a ripcord knee, avoided a Vinci distraction, nailed a powerbomb plus another pump knee for a false finish. They went on a really sick two-way run. Kaiser avoided a moonsault inside, drilled Riddle in the face with a kick, and then listened to Gunther's instructions and hit a turnover DDT, getting what I would call an upset win over Riddle in about 12 minutes. This was an outstanding match with the right guy going over both in storyline and otherwise. 3.75 stars B+. Honestly, I may be underselling it. If you read our June 30th news post on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, we noted that Kaiser has been getting effusive praise backstage. This is the result of that. I do think it's fair to believe there is an internal Imperium story where Vinci might try and fail to prove himself in like a similar manner sooner than later. It does not make sense to break them up as a trio, so we'll see if that even happens. But Riddle right now, he's massively over, even without having a shred of momentum. He has none. So this win helped Kaiser way more than it mattered to Riddle. Riddle was in a perfect position to take a loss. I also loved that it was like 75%, 80% clean for the heel victory. There was that brief distraction by Vinci in the final sequence, but the rest of it was all Kaiser through the end of the match. And obviously I thought this was good. Yeah, by the way, people, that's what you get on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over details of backstage stuff, news that's coming ahead. That's the kind of stuff you get. Yeah, I'm not spoiling booking plans on there. That's not what we're doing. We're just giving you the information you need to know to be, quote unquote, a smarter fan. That's the way I look at it. Yes. And ahead of when we'll talk about it on the show. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So like it kind of all ties together. But the biggest thing that stuck out to me about this whole Imperium stuff, and it included this match here, was was Gunther's promo ability. Mm -hmm. He really 
this week like took charge on the mic himself and it made me wonder the future of imperium around him but ludwig kaiser Mm -hmm. uh looks great i'm glad he got a win I, i don't like it when the faction people are just there as lackeys to take losses for for the main guy riddle we disagree on however or not he is right now but he's not doing nothing he can take a loss Kaiser needs to get periodic wins, which he does. That keeps him relevant, keeps it mattering when he's in a match instead of Gunther. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this was all good. And, and the match was great, so d- definitely good. I just realized I transposed, not that it really matters, but I transposed my uh, the grades that I have for a couple matches on Raw. This one I have four stars and A-. minus. So I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, Maxine Dupree fought Valhalla. Dupree ate a running knee at the bell, just like Derek Lewis delivered on Saturday night at the UFC event. Maxine hit a fisherman suplex. Then the guys jumped on the apron to motivate her to do a, frankly, terrible caterpillar. Uh, Then she hit a flying crossbody, but Eric distracted the referee. The boys all brawled at ringside. Chad Gable hit a moonsault off the top rope into all of them. Dupree escaped the superplex. She got underneath Valhalla and took her off the top rope with a straight jacket electric chair with a bridge for the win in three minutes. I was floored that this was the finish to the match. (laughs) Apparently, this move is called like some Japanese cyclone type of move. I I don't know the official name. It's a straight jacket electric chair with a bridge. Maxine Dupree, first singles match. You could have made 10,000 guesses and not come up with this being the finish of the match. What happened to the ring obviously was below average leading into that, but everything was so fun. Look, this was the only women's wrestling we actually got on the show. The women were all over the show. They had four segments, I think, including the double segment, which was uh, Rousey Baszler. So maybe you want to call it five. Unfortunately, this was the only wrestling that we got. So that was disappointing. But I mean, I'm a little tired of the pairing of of these trios, but this was good. No doubt about it. It legitimately was good. Yeah, it it was good. It was more of those spinning the wheels in place, treading water thing. Like we didn't really advance anything like we had done the past several weeks with these groups, but it was fun. And I continue to like this trio and Maxine Dupree is still extremely over and everybody's loving it. So it was good. It it wasn't at the level of the past few weeks, but it was very entertaining. Definitely good. You may be wondering why we're discussing Maxine and Valhalla this early in the good, the bad and the ugly. Well, the reason is because Alpha Academy backstage later were thrilled with Maxine, excited to enter the SummerSlam Battle Royal. Imperium approached with Gunther disgusted by them, following up Kaiser's great performance by disrespecting the ring with all of their antics. It got heated. It resulted in a five-minute beat-the-clock challenge with Gable confident he could actually last five hours with Gunther if he wanted. So we, out of nowhere, got Gunther against Chad Gable on Raw. And if you know anything about me, you know that popped the Silver King. You rub me just right every week. So Gunther literally stomped Chad in the throat during a bridge. He also toyed with him a bunch. He chopped the life out of Gable, but he countered a powerbomb into the ankle lock Chad did. Gunther got Gable in a choke. He kept his eye on the clock that was ticking down. He released it to lift him in a powerbomb and end the match. Gable countered him with a hurricanrana over the ropes to beat the clock and win. So Gunther grabbed the mic from Samantha Irvin, demanded more time on the clock, and the match was allowed to continue. Presumably, Pierce told the timekeeper and they just kept going with it. So Gable hits a moonsault during commercial. 
He worked Gunther's arm. Gunther came back with a sky-high German suplex. Gable caught him on the ropes for a superplex. Gable had answers for basically everything. He hit the deadlift German suplex bridge. Gunther came back with a huge boot and a lariat for a false finish. The crowd is going wild for Chad Gable at this point. Gable nearly hit Chaos Theory, but Gunther killed him with three huge chops and a powerbomb for the win in a grand total of about 12 minutes. Gunther then stood on the announce table after the bell, telling fans to get used to it, and he threatened McIntyre one more time before SummerSlam. Now, it was only brief because the match actually continued, but Gable technically handed Gunther his first singles loss in 16 months by beating the clock, obviously not pinfall or submission. Not only did that pop me, this was a polar opposite booking, Chris, to how this would have gone under Vince McMahon. Gable would have gone in there and with like four minutes and 40 seconds off the clock lost and nothing else would have come of it. Instead, Gable was kind of re-legitimized here. I don't want to count my chickens and get too excited. It sure felt like they may go with this as Gunther's next title feud, assuming he gets past Drew. Wouldn't that be something? Top to bottom, start to finish, this was good and this was the match. I gave 3.75 stars and a B plus. Yeah, ab- absolute great. I-, I I was thinking that same thing. I thought Gable would either lose at the last second or it, 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 we'd be one second off from Gunther winning, basically. But mm-hmm. no, they just straight up, he survived. You know, he looked good. And I love the commentary even said, they go, wait, does that mean Gunther lost? Because he has barely ever, if ever, lost on the main roster, at least in the second go around. Uh, so I like that they, they noted that. Gable's over as a character. People get behind him because he's a great wrestler. It's everything you want in a quote unquote superstar. So uh, could this be the the, the feud post uh, Drew? Maybe. I don't know. But I'm just glad we continue to get Alpha Academy and Chad Gable, especially TV time, wrestling time. Mm -hmm. They just keep making them look great and people are getting more and more behind them. It's exactly how you, you do this. So just great stuff all around. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa fought Shinsuke Nakamura. Ciampa confronted Nakamura backstage, saying he should have stayed out of his business, but since he didn't, Ciampa would use him as momentum entering the SummerSlam Battle Royal. Nakamura basically agreed with the idea. Bronson Reed watched backstage. Shinsuke ultimately won with a really clunky waist lock roll-up. On replay, we saw Nakamura grab the trunks and cheated to win, but no one really saw this or recognized this in the moment. This was actually bad, mostly because reaction to Ciampa was tepid, And this match got zero energy from the crowd. I've literally been cautioning about this for weeks now on this podcast. WWE wasted two huge opportunities to get Champa over with victories against big time heels. Instead, they had the heels win both of those matches for no reason whatsoever, which completely killed his momentum that was building within those individual matches. And now, fast forward another week, fans don't have much of a reason to care about him because this guy that they've been primed to want to win these big matches lost both of them, and now here he is losing another one to Nakamura. I hate to bury Horowitz myself on something. You know, I don't actually hate that. I love doing it. But you all know I said this would transpire exactly like this. This is a cautionary tale of not putting the right person over in the match for the sake of heel heat multiple weeks. Now, they're gonna have to find a way to regain all this lost momentum for Champa, who was getting cheered in those prior matches. The fans were 
crazy for him at the end of those matches. Here, they just did not give a shit. Now, is it Johnny Gargano coming back? DIY coming back together? Is that going to save it? You know, maybe it's supposed to happen sooner than later. They just had him lose to two clear heels. Then they had him lose to a tweener turning heel who fans still want to cheer. That is just dumb booking. This is how you create indifference for a wrestler amongst your fans. This is bullshit, man. I have so many problems with all of this. And the biggest thing that I took from this that I wrote down in my notes was that Nakamura has not been the same since Rick Boogs got injured at WrestleMania last year. And I cannot believe they didn't put them back together when Mm -hmm. Boogs came back. And that's even more so the case now when you look at where everything is. You had a great tag team, fun tag team, extremely over. You didn't put them back together for whatever reason. And now they're just, they're doing nothing. And Nakamura's winning matches like this and everything you said about Champa's right but i just kept thinking about like this is shinsuke nakamura what the heck happened they they had finally figured something out and then just can't believe they didn't go back to it and they're just floundering put them back together man like split split those tag team titles up now that kevin owens is hurt and mm-hmm. you have to do something get them back together put them in a tag team just save them because this is just this whole thing was nothing this was this was certainly a bad almost almost an ugly It is notable that for all the championship title changes, like the physical belts and the names that they've done recently, they have not made those an undisputed title. And you're right. They do need to be split up because there are plenty of tag teams and people like Nakamura and Boogs could be put together and be a totally worthwhile team on Raw right now. It's great that Nakamura has been on TV more than he was, you know, prior to a few months ago or prior to WrestleMania. He was absent. He was gone. So he's on TV frequently. Cool. And he's had a couple of really nice matches. Mm -hmm. Nice. But the character of him slowly becoming a heel, no one really seems to care. They don't want to boo the guy and mixing in champ. Especially because he still has, especially because he still has the entrance music that you sing along to. Last time he turned heel, they put the lyrics over it. So you couldn't really do it. They waited until he fully turned heel for that. But you're right. You are right about that. Um, But again, they mixed him in with like Ricochet and Champa and Bronson Reed, all just a bunch of mid cards who are spinning their wheels. And you know what? I think Corey Graves actually called that out on the show. He's like, you know, the it's really a bottleneck right now in the men's division on Raw. He's right, it is. They got to figure out mm. some more unique and interesting things to do with these people. But it seemed like they had the Champa storyline with Miz. Then Reed came in. You figure, okay, Champa has to go over Reed. Then he gets to go over Miz and gets the big pop. He lost both of those matches uh, due to you know cheating and happenstance and stuff. And... You know, again, like he should have beat Miz in the street fight or whatever it was called. Reed interfered. They took away the momentum that Champa had there and the, the the way the crowd was rousing behind him in that match. And then they had Champa Reed put on a banger and it looked like Champa was going to go over this huge behemoth dude. They had Nakamura interfere and they cost him that match. So they did the same thing twice. And you know Champa, like you can argue about who Triple H likes, who he doesn't. You know he likes Tommaso Champa. That means this right. is just bad booking, period. They had two chances to get this guy totally over. They blew both of them purely for creative reasons. I don't get that at all. We got a lot to talk about. Let's move on. The Street Profits were living the good life backstage on SmackDown with Bobby Lashley, who said Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams spoke highly of them last week. Lashley said they need to be treated like stars and dressed like stars. And he and Montez Ford kind of 
gave Angelo Dawkins the side eye because he was wearing a sweatsuit. I mean, Ford looked, he was looking good. He was also just wearing a t-shirt. So it's not like he was dressed to the nines. A woman rolled up with a rack of suits with Lashley saying the wardrobe upgrade was on him. The guys dapped up. And I loved that Dawkins called Lashley Big Money Bob. That should be his new nickname. Obviously, I want a little bit more to chew on here. So far, so good. Dawkins has always needed an upgrade on his drip. So hopefully he comes out of this looking fly. And they will also use this as an opportunity to promote my two-on-one interview with the Street Profits last week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. You do not want to miss that conversation. Yes, I actually listened to that this weekend. Really good stuff. Thank you. Uh, good segment. Like you said, need more to chew on, but I'm, I'm liking the direction it's going. So something's happening and that's good. Good setup. All right. And lastly here, uh, Carl Anderson fought Karrion Cross on SmackDown. Anderson told the OC and Gorilla that he needed to do this on his own and didn't want them ringside. Early in the match, Cross took out his leg, hitting a Saito suplex cross hammer and the final prayer, which he debuted a few weeks ago as that pump handle, like swinging DDT kind of move. Then he put Anderson in cross jacket after the bell. He screamed into the camera and Styles and Mi Chin made the save. I'd really have liked to actually see a G1 finalist be able to wrestle on my television and Cross would have benefited far more from an extended match with a hard fought win rather than a squash. How are we supposed to buy into him if a big bad just wins his matches in three minutes and doesn't ever look like he needs to showcase his ability? This was bad, but purely because of the booking, no fault of those guys. I just thought it was a pile of shit. That is one big pile of shit. Yeah, I just, I kind of had no thoughts on this because it was just whatever it was. And, um, you know, I've been back and forth on crossing what they're doing with him and stuff. This was, this was, uh, this was back on the low end though. Bad. That's a really good way to put it. All right, folks, let's move to our 2023 WWE SummerSlam ultimate preview. We are going to break down everything that is on this card and of course discuss what happened on SmackDown and Raw, the go-home moments for Raw and the penultimate moments, I guess, for SmackDown leading into it. We're going to go in reverse order. So we're going to start with the low card. We'll get to the main event at the end. And of course, we will give you our pre-show expectation grades before we wrap up this ultimate preview. Don't forget, we will have a WWE SummerSlam instant reaction podcast Saturday night as soon as this show goes off the air. Chris, let's get started with the SummerSlam Battle Royal. This was announced randomly on SmackDown. There's a Slim Jim sponsorship seemingly tied into it. LA Knight stormed into Pierce's office. He demanded a spot in this match after it was announced, saying it was the biggest misstep in WWE history for him to not be in the US title match. Sheamus came in, demanded a spot as well. It got contentious between both of them, leading to a one-on-one match this Friday, 24 hours before the Battle Royal. Now, we wrote in our news update about seven hours before SmackDown, Knight would get on SummerSlam with that scenario developing Friday. Now, look, if he just wound up in this match, I'd probably have dismissed it as fan service. But it's important to consider, Chris, what happened with LA Knight. Over the last three weeks, he has been the lone person outside of the bloodline to get a live mic in front of the crowd, which has happened each week. Check. Not only that, He was able to show some edge this week on the mic. Check. Not only that, he directly voiced the fan sentiment regarding his character in that backstage segment with Pierce. Check. Not only that, he now has a singles match with a major star that he's obviously going to win. Check. And he's on SummerSlam. 
Check. You know, Chris, it's almost like we know what we're talking about here. We tried to calm everyone down last week, and I thought it might take a couple of weeks for that to be proven out. Nope. Right away, one week later. Instead of changing plans, pushing Escobar to the side, putting Knight in the title match, which would have meant him not appearing on SummerSlam, by the way, they kept their plans while elevating Knight and putting him on the big card. Don't get it twisted. The Battle Royal is going to be a feature spot for him to get cheered. He may win. He may not win. That could result in an angle if he doesn't win. But like with Money in the Bank, he will be the top babyface in this match. Look, I'm just excited that LA Knight's going to be at in SummerSlam, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to get to cheer and, and do that whole thing. My dad, I told him to watch SmackDown because I said, hey, we're going to SummerSlam. Like, you should watch a little bit, catch up on things. And he texts me, he goes, LA Knight, I like him. You know, like, people just people are just flocking to him right now. People who are just paying attention for the first time are only casually watching. So, uh, yes. He's on the card for SummerSlam. He may or may not win, but he's going to get a big spot. And your people are going to have reasons to cheer for him. And that's what we said. We said, look, you didn't have him on WrestleMania. He's arguably your second most over thing going on right now in terms of the live audience. Mm. You have to have him on SummerSlam in something. And now they do. Something he very may very well win. So I'm fired up about that. Long time coming. The Battle Royal itself, it'd be nice, as always, if there are stakes, unless I missed something. Mm -hmm. There's not. It's just a Battle Royal. There's nothing. You don't win anything. You don't win a title shot. You don't win a... It's like the WrestleMania showcase matches. Uh, Those tag team WrestleMania showcase matches. Same idea. It it cannot be hard to just put figure out something in there. Say it's for $100,000 of kayfabe money or something like that. I don't know. Or you win a bunch of C4 energy or you win a year's worth of Slim Jims or something. Like just <laughs> tied into the sponsorship. You know, uh, but look, LA Knight did the Mountain Dew match and now he's doing the Slim Jim match. Mm-hmm. So uh, they like him in these sponsorship spots, which is a good place to be. Sometimes it means the company likes you. So um I'm just fired up, man. I'm fired up. LA Knight's going to be on SummerSlam. People are going to be going nuts. I can't wait to to, to hear all the yeahs everybody's going to be doing in the concourse. And uh, I just, I'm so relieved because a week ago or whatever it was when LA Knight didn't win and we realized, oh, he's not going to win the US title around SummerSlam. I was deflated. I was like, man, this is like arguably the thing I'm most looking forward to on all of SummerSlam is LA Knight in person and just being a part of that crowd. And so it's going to happen finally. I'm fired up about it. With a tear in my eye. <laughs> You're, this is the best moment in your life right now, Chris, with a tear in it, your look, eye. Look, I, look, I, I'm the person like a year plus two years on this podcast have been saying like, I think LA Knight's got something. And now that I'm going to a SummerSlam that he's going to be on the card after this rise this year, it's just, it's very fulfilling. Well, I'm very excited for you. Uh, but again, I'm going back to last week on this podcast. I told everyone, calm down. Stop freaking out, okay? And it's already playing out. You're seeing it. All the things I just checked off on that list. Major challenger now for Sheamus in a match on SummerSlam. They know what they have. They're going with him. And again, they did not derail their plans for Santos Escobar and the United States Championship just for fan service. They made both work. That's exactly what you want them to do. As we said earlier, we also know that Nakamura, Champa, and Alpha Academy will be in this match. I'm going to presume that like 
Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio are in, are in it as well. You want these big names on the show, but I mean, they didn't announce them. And obviously on SmackDown, we'll find out a lot of other people who will be in this battle royal. It's impossible to predict the battle royal. You know, we predict every match here on this ultimate preview. You have to think it's going to be LA Knight. If it's not, whoever costs him it, let's say it's Sheamus, like they fight and LA Knight beats him and yeah. Sheamus is angry and Sheamus wins the battle royal, then LA Knight feuds with him coming out of it. As long as it's someone that is a upper mid Carter or better and Knight gets into a significant feud coming out of the battle royal, it's a positive. So whether he wins or whether he doesn't, I'm not worried about him winning a meaningless battle royal. He will be my prediction because it makes the most sense for him. But I do think yes. whatever the finish is will involve him in some way. I guess we should make the pick. Yeah, my pick as well is LA Knight. Um, it is interesting because Sheamus is a he's the face, right? He's still a he face is. right now. So like something may something may happen in the in the match or afterward to make him turn heel or something like that. If we if we do LA Knight Sheamus moving forward, if it is LA Knight Sheamus moving forward, that's the exact type of feud you want to do for a guy who really has no notable victories. Mm -hmm. You start piling them up. Sheamus, multi-time world champion, Hall of Famer. Like that is a great place to start. So the, my, my pick as well is LA Knight. And you can easily make Sheamus a tweener. Just by him going against Knight, he's going to get booed. I mean, you saw that happen to, you know, Santos Escobar. So... Um, that can happen. He can fight Ridge Holland. He can fight Butch. Like he can go through all of brawling brutes as tweeners or heels and then move on to something else. And his profile would be raised coming out of that. I don't know that that's the plan. I'm just saying it is possible for that to be the case. And you're right. He is the perfect type of opponent for him. You want him against these high level mid carters, upper mid carters and main eventers. That's what they're doing. So everyone, hopefully your patience, your one week of patience was rewarded as we promised it would be. I didn't think it'd happen that quick. But hopefully you're seeing that transpire and allow that to go back to what I was saying earlier about Becky Lynch. OK, please keep that in mind. Uh, Ricochet is going to fight Logan Paul on Raw. Logan opened the show, grabbed some cheap heat. He got booed like he was Dominic Mysterio. The, I will say I kind of criticized the Houston crowd. They were all over Logan Paul. He promised to beat Ricochet in the most viral match in WWE history. Ricochet got a big pop saying Logan can fool his fans. He can't fool the WWE universe. Ricochet put him over for being a legit athlete and a showman even if he is a horrible person. I think that's what most of us believe about him. Uh, Logan said Rick was one of the greatest until he showed up, and then he got production to roll the Royal Rumble spot. He said that he was excited to have Samantha Irvin, Ricochet's fiance, yelling his name after the bell. I thought he could have given a little bit more innuendo to that. He didn't, but it would have been nice if he did. Ricochet attacked. He had all the momentum until Logan caught him springing off the ropes with that big right hand. Later backstage, Logan reiterated the most viral promise and said Ricochet looked like a full-grown fetus, which is a very funny line. Uh, Logan has consistently been great on the mic, but this Chris might have been the most comfortable he has ever sounded. He completely commanded both segments. He made snide comments, flashed a shit ton of charisma, both throwing to the video package and then backstage with Byron Saxton. It was impressive for a guy who is still pretty damn inexperienced. This was solid go-home material. You can make an argument. It was one of the best go-home, quote-unquote, moments on Raw. I loved the Samantha call-out, but it wasn't that much different than what we've gotten from them the prior two confrontations. I did think the most viral promise was funny, though, because no matter what happens in this match, this will not be the most viral match of even the last 12 months. It won't be the most viral match in SummerSlam history, given what happened last year with Brock Lesnar and the tractor, not to mention myriad other moments from WWE this year. That's just me being picky. Like I said, 
Logan was outstanding here on Raw. I mean, the virality of it all, it's going to be the most viral, viral thing they've ever had in the history of viralness. I, I mean, <laughs> if we took a shot every time they said the word viral during that whole segment, we'd be freaking drunk. That's ridiculous. Like, that was <laughs> that was old school WWE where they just hit you over the head with a term right. over and over again. Like we don't like Logan Paul has wrestled for the world championship. He's a big like we, he's a legitimate wrestler. We don't need to go like the viral side of things anymore. It's just such a just say these two guys hate each other right. and they want to outshine each other. Like, well, they, if you like want to say it, if you want to the, say it once or twice, it's fine. You don't need to say it 10 times. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was a lot. It's, but you're right in that. I, I had that same thought about Logan Paul where he's giving this promo to start the show. And I'm like, he sounds different. He doesn't sound like celebrity who's here speaking to the crowd. Mm -hmm. He sounds like pro wrestler cutting a promo. Yep. Like it really felt like it clicked like, oh, he's doing the WWE thing now. Like just something's there and it was good stuff and plays into the crowd. Great. And, and all that kind of stuff. We've said it a million times, but whatever you think of him, it feels like this dude was born to be a pro wrestler more than anything else he does. He is better at this than anything. And so that shined here. Now, the end of this segment when he mentioned Samantha Irvin, you're right. I you would have liked a little more innuendo and you would have liked Ricochet to totally flip out, like add to a lot more fire to this. It kind of just became a normal, regular beatdown type of thing. Um, I, I would That would have been a good moment to just totally latch out. It's like, this isn't about going viral anymore. This is about me kicking your ass. You know, like that was, that was the ch chance to kind of do that. Instead, it was just kind of so-so. So... Good stuff overall. Looking forward to the match. Glad Ricochet's getting this moment. But Logan Paul is obviously the, the star of this bit. And my only other thought was in that behind in, in that backstage promo at the end, which Logan Paul did a great job. Like, hey, get this camera out of my face at the end. I really love that. But my thought was he's got the prime energy drink with him there. C4 Energy is promoting SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Does he come out with the prime or not? Do we have sponsorship clashes here? I'm, I'm very curious. This is the not the most important part of that, but I just I thought of it. Overall, good stuff. Would have liked a little more fire, but it was a pretty good go home segment. That's actually a great point about C4 that I didn't even think about. And I don't believe he had it in the ring with him on Raw, which he always brings a bottle out with him. So right. I would venture to believe he's not able to promote prime on this show. That's a you know, the minor thing, but yeah, that is interesting. I, I would guess if I had to make a guess coming into SummerSlam, there will not be prime promotion during that match because it is C4 Energy. You're you're a thousand percent uh, correct about that. In terms of a prediction, I do think this could go either way. I mean, at some point, Logan Paul needs to start winning matches, and you're definitely not having him beat Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns. Ricochet is going to be over like Rover, whether Logan beats him or not. He really is the perfect opponent for him. Also, we have been talking about this since the Royal Rumble. I was telling you guys prior to Money in the Bank that they would be developing Logan and Ricochet. And I don't mean to be like that person on this podcast, but it's clear my point is that they've been developing this feud since the beginning of the year with a plan to do this at SummerSlam. So I love that they're doing that. And if you're gonna develop, let's call it a long-term feud for Logan Paul, and it does not revolve around a title, that is the exact circumstance where you have him win. So I am going to pick Logan Paul to beat Ricochet. I'm not going to be overly surprised if he loses just because, again, Ricochet is a legitimate full-time professional wrestler. 
and Logan Paul is not. And they are focusing more on the virality of this match rather than who's going to win or who's going to lose. He's promising to make the most viral match, not necessarily promising to beat the shit out of Ricochet. Still though, I do think Logan Paul gets the win. There's probably some type of shenanigans from one of the people on his podcast. There's going to be some excuse, I think, for Ricochet. I don't think it's going to be, you know, squeaky clean, but I do think it's a great spot for Logan to win. And honestly, I think he should win. Yeah, Logan Paul is winning this match. Ricochet, we love him, but he's got a ceiling. There's nowhere really for him to, to go. Logan Paul is, is a guy you're going to have high up in this company for a while. Um, needs some wins, lost at WrestleMania, lost at Money in the Bank, to kind of lost at Money in the Bank. Uh, gets the win here at SummerSlam. And lost against, obviously, Roman Reigns last year at Crown Jewel or whatever event that was. So it's been a lot of yes. losses piling up for him. Uh, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler will be fighting in an MMA rules match on Raw. There was a significant interview package with Rousey and Baszler going over their entire history, dating back to Strikeforce and the Ultimate Fighter. Baszler pointed out that she was Rousey's sparring partner for all of her major fights, yet Ronda never reciprocated that for her. She pointed out how the same trend was happening in WWE with Rousey following her, yet hogging all the spotlight. This was actually a two-part segment with it announced after the first part that the match would be contested under these MMA rules. Baszler said Rousey is toxic as a friend and thought their tag team title run only came because Ronda needed someone to get her back after being hated by the entire roster. Rousey cried legitimately about Baszler being the only one to ever have her back. Then she made this comparison to an emperor being saved by a stable boy, giving him everything until the stable boy turned on the king and killed him. What was ironic, I think purposely here, is that makes Rousey look like a piece of shit. And, and she's saying it as if she should be receiving sympathy for it. So it really just played into her entire mental state and what she thinks about herself and what Baszler was saying in the other portion of this interview. Baszler also cried saying she's given her all her friendship, but never seen it reciprocated and she's tired of riding in the back seat. Then she promised to take Ronda's reputation because Shane has always been the baddest. Baszler said Rousey's kid is her goddaughter, and she's going to grow up never forgiving her for what she's about to do to her mother. First off, it is interesting that this is MMA rules and not fight pit. Credit for delivering on the fight comments that I criticized last week, but still doing MMA rules in a squared circle, it doesn't make that much sense when you can throw some type of cage up. I'd at least remove the ring ropes and make it like underground style, but I really doubt they go that far. The interview package here, was extremely well done. It filled in a lot of gaps that, let's just be honest, Ronda would not have been able to deliver with a live mic, right? And it created a lot of momentum for a feud that had little of it due to what I mentioned earlier. It got rushed to completion. The whole thing has been doomed since that Rousey injury before WrestleMania. It's just unfortunate because there was definitely something here that never truly reached a crescendo the way it needed to. I will say, though, this was the one match Monday night that actually saw its build improve going into SummerSlam, while the rest of them basically idled in place. I loved this back and forth interview segment. I thought Baszler came off extremely strong. Rousey was solid. Both of them crying in it was great. And that last like exclamation point of Baszler saying, I'm your kid's godmother, and she is going to grow up hating me for the way I'm about to beat your ass. Mwah. Beautiful stuff. Those video packages were incredible. 
WWE's video team once again stepping up, proving that they are the best in the game mm-hmm. at doing this kind of stuff. Unbelievable. So much backstory that you maybe knew a little bit of, but didn't know the details of. Ronda wouldn't have been able to deliver it in a promo, but she was great in this interview. She was. Like, she she delivered everything in that exactly the way you should. It felt real. That's why her promo ability, her, her promo struggles have been so surprising because whenever she does interviews and everything like she's great so like that was great to see i'm all in on this man this was incredible this is this is without a doubt the most interesting Shayna baszler has ever been i know she had that long run in nxt but this the the promo work she has done in this feud like came out of nowhere and has you all interested in her and everything she's doing the video another thing i liked about these video packages I don't think it was clear who was the villain in the in the in the baby face in this, you know, like it was kind of ambiguous, but I think that works like they're just they're friends. They're longtime friends that came together in wrestling through different paths and the wrestling business just kind of broke them up that it just happens that way and they have to fight it out. And I just I love that as a basic story. There doesn't need to be, oh, you turned on me and did this, even though that's how it started, all this and that. It's just like we like we're friends who just are really pissed off at each other and we gotta fight it out. So I thought that was amazing. Shout out to everybody involved in that. As for the match, I'm glad it's not fight pit, just because frankly, doing cage matches in stadium shows is brutal for the live crowd. You can't see anything. You're just looking up at the screen. Same goes for Hell in a Cell. I've just I've never been a fan of those situations. I'm not sure what MMA rules means, but I think it's a good way to go. But there is a delicate balance of wrestling versus doing something that's too gimmicky. You have to have selling. You have to have moments that people cheer. You have to have false finishes. That's ultimately what you have to do. Um, So I don't know what it means. Also, this is the only stipulation for a match at SummerSlam. The only one. So not true. That stands out for it as well. That is not true. What? what oh, I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. There is also tribal combat. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to yes. figure it out. There are. Yeah, two. two of the eight matches or two of the seven singles matches have stipulations. Yeah. This is one of them. Sorry. Two of them have that. No, that that's fine. And, you know, that kind of does play into why another match, a, a very important singular match on this card does not have a stipulation that really needs one and needs one more than this. But MMA rules, you know, it's not a hardcore stipulation. It's just something that is going to set this match apart from everything else that we're going to see on the show. You know, I agree with everything you said about Baszler and Rousey. I like that the way the interview package was done with both of them, it kind of allowed you as a viewer to pick your own side. It didn't necessarily say Mm -hmm. that Ronda's a heel and Shane is a baby face even though by the time it got to the end, and especially again, when Rousey made that comparison, you know, she compared Baszler to a stable boy. And in her mind, that was a positive comparison because she's saying that this friend turned on her. She was calling herself an emperor and Baszler a stable boy, which goes right into what Baszler was saying about her. I just thought that was so smart. Whoever came up with that, if it was Rhonda, good for her. If it was someone else in creative, good for them. In terms of the match itself, you know, normally going into this, we would think, oh, well, Rousey's going to win. She's the bigger star and all, all that makes sense. But the storyline um, in reality, not in kayfabe, 
is that Rousey's contract is ending with WWE. And before she left, she wanted to put Baszler over. Well, there's really no better way than to put Baszler over to do it on a situation like SummerSlam. So that obviously needs to be the prediction. Baszler over Rousey. I'm just going to say, you know, going in, we thought there were going to be possibly four women's matches on the card. I was looking forward to this one least out of all of them. There's only going to be two women's matches on the card. This, of course, is now one of them. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I'm going into SummerSlam and this is one of my top matches, but I will say I didn't give that much of a shit about it last week. This week, I care. I'm glad that it's on the card and I'm excited to watch it. So Baszler is my prediction to win. Of those four possible women's matches and the two we're getting, in terms of the match itself, looking forward to it was kind of mixed, but in terms of the build, I think it was arguably the best one from, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I just, I've really enjoyed the build for this and every step along the way. Um, the pick is Shayna Baszler. You know, at the end of 2022, my um, one of my bold predictions with the, was that this would be Ronda Rousey's last year in WWE uh, that may or may not end up being the case. Uh, but the pick is Baszler, and I do kind of wonder and, and maybe hope that this ends with the two of them hugging, you know, like uh, it's kind of making up because that's kind of what the story is. It's two friends who just kind of broke apart. We don't need to end it with Shayna, with, with Rhonda sulking away and that being the end of her thing. It can be, hey, the two of them come back together again. Shayna's going to take my mantle moving forward. She's the baddest woman in WWE that you need to, to pay attention to. Finally, it's been years and they've just never figured out what to do with Shayna. I'm really hoping what they've what what has clicked in this storyline with Ronda. I really hope that is what they can carry forward into everything. Obviously, Shayna's up there in age, you know, relative to a lot of the women's wrestlers. But um, I, I think there's still a lot they can do with her and she can be unique, especially if Ronda goes away as the MMA person. So the pick is Baszler and I'm, I'm optimistic about what it means for her going forward. You're right. The goal coming out of this match needs to be to basically reestablish Baszler the way they tried and failed in that elimination chamber match a couple of years ago that was just booked piss poor and, and it didn't work to get Baszler over the way it was meant to as a big time heel. Whether it's face or heel, I, I really don't care much about that. Baszler needs to be feared. And we saw that she can be feared uh, in NXT the way that she had that run there. It was too long with the title down there, but She is a capable main event woman, a capable part of Mm -hmm. the main event division with the women. And she just hasn't really been able to show that on the main roster. So Baszler getting the win. Rousey doesn't need to like hug her. They don't need to make up at the end of the match. But Rousey showing her respect, like nodding the head, bowing to her, something like that on her way out. That is the way this needs to end. That that is what I would do uh, with the booking here. Let's move to the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther against Drew McIntyre. On Raw, Gunther backstage announced McIntyre was not in attendance, but he would end him for good at SummerSlam. Drew not being there solidified what I said last week, which is that Raw last week felt like two weeks of storylines jammed into one. Turns out it was three weeks of storylines jammed into one. It was disappointing for McIntyre to not be on the go-home show. I'm sure there was a legitimate reason for it. I'm just confused They had him last week. You presume they knew he wouldn't be there this week. Why didn't they pre-tape a sit-down interview or some other type of segment, a backstage promo? He's been on like two Raws since he returned at Money in the Bank, and he's barely done anything on TV to actually lead into this match. Without McIntyre available to truly build this 
into a high-level feud, Chris, I find it extremely hard to buy the idea of a title change. If this was red hot coming in, and if the honky-tonk man's record was already eclipsed, Drew would be a great choice. But Gunther's going to be at 421 days on Saturday. That's three shy of Pedro Morales and 33 behind honky-tonk. That means he's going to need to keep the title through payback on Labor Day weekend to, I believe, tie the record that Monday on Raw. You don't come this close with a guy like Gunther and a record not held by a bigger name. Let's say it was Hulk Hogan, for example, with the all-time mark. You don't come this close to all of that and then drop it in a situation where the feud is not on absolute fire. And I will admit the introduction of Chad Gable possibly being the one coming after Drew McIntyre, that is massively intriguing. And there's really no reason for Gunther and Gable to fight if there's not the Intercontinental Championship. So even though, you know, last week, I would say I had like a 25%, 33% chance in my mind that McIntyre might actually end Gunther's reign just because it is SummerSlam and they are a huge feud. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you need to have Gunther retain the title over Drew, get past Honky Tonk Man, and then at that point, you can figure out who's going to take this championship off of him. But he's doing too well. You mentioned the renewed promo ability over the last couple of weeks, seeing him stand on the announce table. That's starting to happen. You can say, okay, now he's feeling himself a little bit too much, and maybe that's the reason that Drew wins. I just don't think there's enough momentum, even though people love McIntyre, it'd be that's going to get a huge pop. It may well be the match of the night. I mean, the ceiling for this match is five stars. So this could definitely be an incredible moment at SummerSlam. I just don't see why you would take the title off Gunther, given this scenario I just mentioned. So Gunther retaining the title in an absolute fantastic match that is going to have plenty, Chris, of beef flying in the ring. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. That is going to be a fantastic match on this SummerSlam card. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Sorry, I had to get one more in. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, we haven't had that many big meaty men moments in a while on this show. So we got to get them all out for this match. Absolutely. Gunther is winning this match. It's going to be a great match. I've been very disappointed with the build. You, there was a lot of time between Money in the Bank and SummerSlam to put something better together. I know Drew is out doing things, so it just it was what it was. So kind of what I'm hoping here is Gunther wins, it, it, perhaps via chicanery, mm -hmm. and Gunther comes back out on Monday, says, hey, I'm about to break the record, the longest intercontinental reign ever. We're doing that. Drew comes out, says, no, we're doing this again. Then we get a good, solid build up to payback between these two, where it feels like a monumental fight for the intercontinental record on the line at payback. That's what I would do. I know we just talked about Chad Gable. I, I, I love Chad Gable, but Drew McIntyre versus Gunther should feel like a freaking main event, huge thing. And it just, it doesn't because it's just been a wacky couple of weeks. And so I would love for them to run this back. But yes, you're not dropping the Intercontinental title now um, when when you have the dates coming up. So the pick is Gunther, but I hope this is and it should be a great match. I actually think this is an opportunity to, tr to uh, turn Drew McIntyre heel coming out of this match. He loses. He's pissed. He can't, you know, put it in his head. He can't get it straight why he would lose a match like this to Gunther and just snaps and goes after someone Monday night on Raw 
and we're off and running with Drew back as a heel. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction they go. But to your point, uh, there is a show called Payback. It's aptly named. The problem is, if he beats him for the title at Payback, then Gunther would not get the record. So then he'd lose twice. So that's a little bit. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what it comes down to. Do we think at this point, do we think Gunther will break the record? I think you have to. It's, I think it's too go close. this far. I think he yeah. does. I think he does too. And so to have the biggest possible match you can have to get to that, to me, is Drew McIntyre. Beating Drew McIntyre to get that is the biggest match you you could do. And then maybe Gable comes. So maybe after that, after two law after two losses to Gunther is when Drew turns heel. Okay, and something like that. I can and buy maybe that. Maybe Gable comes comes in afterwards. So I I, I think. I think that's what I would do. I can buy that. Schmaz finish at SummerSlam, rematch at aptly named Payback Show, one of the key matches on that card. Gunther beats him relatively clean there. Then McIntyre snaps because he's now lost to Gunther twice. He can't take it, so on and so forth. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And Gunther has the record. Gunther gets the record. Yeah. Yep. I think that's the right booking for sure. All right. Let's move to Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar. Now, before we saw either of the guys on Raw, they aired what I presume is going to be the pre-match video package on Saturday. And, you know, we praised the Rousey and Baszler package. Holy shit, did this thing bang. WWE managed to take a feud that does have plenty of intensity, but doesn't really have much of a storyline. And they made it seem like an epic. They really, Chris, do not miss on these big time packages. Look, between watching the Cody Rhodes documentary leading into Raw and then getting that video <laughs> package on top of that, I was like, all right, this is a little bit much of, of, of the Cody Rhodes, yeah, you know, hagiography yeah. here. <laughs> but but it, it, it was a great video. I just kept thinking this is not a feud that deserves this good of a video. Right, it's true. So Lesnar hit the ring about an hour after this with Brock going over his career accolades. Lesnar said he knows when it's fight week, this is fight week, it's SummerSlam, he's getting paid to kick Rhodes's ass. He also said Cody will get paid to get his ass kicked. There were what chance Lesnar played into them. When the fuck did these start again to this degree? It's been like three weeks in a row now with these what chance. They had gone away for a pretty long time. So annoying. Well, it, it, Go ahead. it didn't help that Jey Uso and now Brock Lesnar leaned into it. I know. And but, started <sighs> playing with the crowd to do it. That's what brought it back, I think. When that happens, you have to shut it down. You have to change your cadence. Don't let them get doing it because yeah. then it comes back. That's a problem. Well, Jay did change his cadence two weeks ago. That's his normal start and stop, like talking style. So they did it on that yeah. show. Brock leaned into it here, I think just because he was having fun. Because how often does Brock like have a mic where he actually gets to command an audience? So you could see like he was enjoying right. it, not realizing like, oh, these mm -hmm. actually suck. The fans don't like them. The fans at home don't like them. If you are going to a show, WWE, AEW, stop with the what chance, folks. We were doing really well. Don't bring it back. Anyway, uh, Brock invited Cody out to look him in the eye, shake his hand, and tell him he won't get his ass kicked. So out came Cody in ring gear, offering his hand to shake. Brock did shake it. Uh, Lesnar then talked some trash off Mike. He bullied his way past Rhodes. He tried to like brush his shoulder, but Cody stayed you know, firm. He didn't move. Brock didn't like that, so he powered past him out of the ring. Cody surprised him with a tope suicida. Brock immediately lifted him for a spike into the ring apron, drilled him with the steel steps. He was infuriated because Cody kept getting back to his feet, so he hit him with the steps and walked away to his theme music hitting, I think, twice more. He had to keep going back. Lesnar eventually hit Rhodes clean with an F5 in the middle of the ring. Probably 20 fans, I would say, chanted one more time. And then Brock finally left. Later backstage, Cody promised 
to shatter the aura of the beast Brock Lesnar. This just didn't work for me at all. Lesnar's promo was bland. The handshake was stupid. The match, the attack, I'm sorry, not the match, was repetitive. It's fine that Cody's an underdog. He doesn't need to look like the biggest underdog in the world going in. Not creating a stipulation for this match, it was almost assuredly done because the main event is tribal combat, and they didn't want to have two of their quote-unquote three main events you know, have very similar stipulations with violence and presumably blood, whatever the case. But it was a huge missed opportunity to create some intrigue in a feud that just feels repetitive. This badly needed a stipulation. If this was our prior segment, I would have given this a bad on Monday night. It just didn't work for me at all. And there is no good reason that that should be the case for a go-home moment between freaking Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar for SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean, like, there was... Look, we were never going to get the story at the last minute. It is what it is. They fight. They fight some more. They fight some more. And that's just what it is. So... We got one last fight before they go into the final match where they're going to fight. And that's that. Yeah. That's about all I have in terms of, in terms of winner. Um, I, I think it's, it's gotta be Cody, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're insinuating. This is the end of the feud. Cody hasn't gotten a clean win over Brock yet. Um, if, if Cody is still your top baby face or two in the company, then he gets the win here. I, I still don't think, you know, WrestleMania to WrestleMania storyline is really going anywhere. But in terms of the right now, I think it makes sense for Cody to win. So that's the pick. Yeah, Cody Rhodes has to be the pick. I mean, unless they're going to go to four matches and they're going to do another one at payback and then Cody wins that one. And we have seen feuds involving these guys go beyond three previously, um, especially Lesnar. Then unless they're doing that, Cody has to win here, end it. Brock takes a lot of time off, probably comes back for Crown Jewel in November or Royal Rumble in January. That's the way you have to believe it's going to go. What does Cody do now between winning here, potentially, and the Royal Rumble, which he might be the favorite for the men again? I have absolutely no idea, but I do think it makes the most sense for Cody to come out of this as the winner. So our prediction, of course, is the same. Let's move to the WWE Women's Championship match, Asuka, Charlotte Flair, and Bianca Belair in a triple threat. On SmackDown, Belair backstage talked about being ready for the triple threat when complaint department interrupted. That's what I'm calling them now because WWE does not give women's tag teams names. The heels talked shit. Chelsea Green was funny again, and Flair didn't want Belair outnumbered, so she suggested teaming together. Bianca said no, so Charlotte decided to go to Pierce and make it happen anyway which it did moments later. So we got Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green against Flair and Belair. Flair got the hot tag and New Orleans was surprisingly loud for her as a babyface. She hit the really stupid cartwheel clothesline, speared Chelsea. Belair took it to Sonya, but got her arms pulled by Chelsea while she was doing the handspring attempt. Belair then escaped, unpretty her, and had Chelsea up for a KOD. But Charlotte blind tagged, booted Chelsea in the face for the one, two, three in 10 minutes with the faces arguing loudly after the bell. So here's the positives. The match got plenty of time. Sonya and Chelsea looked solid in the ring. And Charlotte was night and day better than she was against Io Sky last week. But the negatives are obvious. An extremely trite can they coexist match for no reason. An extremely trite booking of main event talent randomly teaming up 
and immediately beating the tag team champions. Worse yet, though, these were brand new champions who lost for no reason whatsoever in their first match since winning the titles 11 days ago. Oh, and Chelsea got pinned with a boot, not even a finisher. I will say a torture rack boot, it's a pretty nice tag team finisher, so I didn't necessarily hate that. It's one thing to be an established tag team with a longish reign and then lose, but you do not beat brand new champions in their first match. That's fucking idiotic. Even if it is two of the top women in the entire company doing it, all they had to do was pick any other two women on the damn roster. How about Unholy Union, since you're not doing anything with them, or Lacey Evans and someone else? It would have worked well if maybe Flair pushed Bel Air and that led into a roll-up and the heels got the cheap victory. Instead, this was bullcrap. This is crap. So not only, okay, first off, they not only did they pin the tag champs in a can they coexist situation, they basically stopped coexisting at the end and lost anyway. You know, like they were arguing at the end and then they right. get the pin, which right. was like even on top of that, which is, which was annoying. Uh, to start this off, Charlotte starts walking out for her entrance and commentary goes, oh, I, I guess we're doing this. I guess the match is official. Like th- th- that was never made clear until the match started. And WWE just is incapable of doing a long women's storyline that does not involve them coexisting. I mean, we we got it with mm. we got it with Bianca and Sasha. We got it uh, this year, I think, as well. I forgot who it was, but like we're just mm, always doing the. There's been plenty. Can the women coexist in a, in a thing? It's just it happens right before big shows all the time, and it's just very annoying. So this was incredibly frustrating on all counts. I will say this before we move on. Apropos of nothing that happened in the match, Flair and Belair were actually a pretty impressive team together. Just like their size and athletic ability. It was so obvious that they're just a different breed of women's wrestler in this division. Them teaming up would actually be quite a sight if they did it long term. But obviously, I'm just kind of spitballing. Anyway, later on the show, Bailey tried to explain to EO she didn't mean to leave her last week when Shotzi messed with her. Then she opened her bag to reveal a ransom note from Shotzi saying, Bailey, see you soon with a lock of her green hair. Then sharp dressed Asuka, which, as you all know, is the best Asuka showed up saying that she would be fighting two of the best at SummerSlam. And if EO thought about cashing in the briefcase, she'd make her regret that decision forever. EO said she respected Asuka, but it didn't matter who wins because she'll be leaving as champion. This was both the most they have been allowed to speak English and the best they have spoken English in a promo type segment, maybe ever on the main roster. So credit to Triple H and and Creative for allowing them to do that. I also got a note from a listener, that the way Io spoke to Asuka in Japanese was with respect and reverence, despite going after the title. And Asuka used like similar type of language referring to Io, even though she's, you know, younger in comparison. This was actually a fantastic segment. All three of them were great. I also liked that we got Flair and Belair in one portion, and then Asuka and Ia in the other. Hopefully, those are the storylines coming out of SummerSlam. Whether there's a title change or not, Asuka and Io and then Bel Air and Flair in a non-title situation, that's what I would like to see happen. So what's the pick? Well, I have more to talk about, so I just wanted to see what you thought about that backstage uh, segment. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it was fine. I liked it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sean McDermott, I, I'm bored, brother, wrote in. He said, what I took from Charlotte and Bianca's match was how they wanted to keep one upping each other. He thinks that continues into SummerSlam and it costs both of them the title. They're so distracted by each other. They lose focus, take each other out, and then EO cashes in. Definitely plausible, maybe even likely. The main reason you do a triple threat title match, if you're going to do a title change, is to protect the champion from not having to take the fall. But if the champion is going to retain, you generally have the challengers break off into their own feud. That's what I was just talking about. The added element is EO in the briefcase in this scenario. What's notable here is there's not another major event upcoming. So it would actually be kind of strange to go with Charlotte Bianca, given there's a bunch of B-level shows and Blood Money in the Sand is still three months away. Also, they're both baby faces right now, though obviously Charlotte can turn on a dime. And we've been discussing Bianca either turning or becoming more serious, maybe even linking up with the Street Profits and Bobby Lashley. That would be interesting. But if you look at the SmackDown women's roster right now, it is thin. There are only so many options. So I suppose as long as WWE is not planning to use Belair and Flair for a WrestleMania match, it doesn't hurt to run that program over the couple months leading into what will probably be Crown Jewel. Maybe this is just a hopeful prediction because history points to WWE leaning on Flair or Belair whenever possible and not giving Asuka meaningful main roster title runs. But I'm going with Asuka retaining the title here and thwarting an EO cash-in attempt one way or another. I'd be okay if EO cashed in successfully. Don't get me wrong. She doesn't have the promo game necessary to hold the briefcase for a while and really utilize it to advance her character the way a native English speaker might. So EO winning the title and having Bailey get jealous alongside of her, that would work a lot. So again, prediction for the match, Oscar retains. I don't think EO successfully cashes in. I don't think it like becomes an official money in the bank match, but I do think there's a tease at the end. However, if she does cash in, I would be fine with it. So Charlotte is a 14 time women's champ and we wonder when or, or, or how long until she gets to Rick's number and that's getting closer and closer. She's 37. You know, you don't know how much longer she wants to wrestle or not. So it is a weird spot where like, yes, Charlotte Bianca, is a WrestleMania match. And maybe it's the next, if, if your WrestleMania matches in Philly are Charlotte Bianca and Becky Rhea, that's big time. It is. that that That's absolutely huge. So at some point, one of them needs to win the title. Um, Charlotte has been in and out for the last year. She comes in, wins the title for the sake of losing it. Does she disappear after this and come back around rumble time. I, I I don't know. Asuka has in WWE not held titles for very long. She's generally been a transitional champion. Mm -hmm. And if they are going to move into an Asuka EO thing where both of them aren't speaking great English, EO's better uh, for a championship. I, I don't know Th this, this may be the most difficult match on the card to pick. Frankly, I think it actually it's, Looking through the card, it's pretty clear. I think we've agreed on every single thing, and we're going to agree on the main event. This is by far the most difficult match to predict. I am very, very concerned at uh, the suggestion there that Charlotte and Bianca bicker with each other, and that leaves Asuka to win. I'm going to be annoyed if that happens because I just I hate when that happens. But 
I think we're going to go with that. I think Oscar is going to hold the title for now. And uh, we'll get back to Charlotte Bianca at some point. Maybe they do one match here and they come back later. I don't know. I'm just kind of spinning my wheels here trying to talk. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to say Asuka. Asuka's longest reign with a main roster women's title was 231 days, but that was during the pandemic in that very unique situation. All of her other main roster singles title reigns have been 100 days or less. So that's where we kind of get into the situation where, and again, you know, Vince McMahon had the book previously. We know for a fact that Triple H loves Asuka, but you know who else Triple H loves? Charlotte Flair. So I think we're on the same page with Asuka retaining. That really is what should happen here. Here is the alternative booking scenario that could happen. Belair is ready to pin Asuka. Flair pushes her out of the ring, pins Asuka, gets her 15th title. EO cashes in, beats Charlotte. People will freak out. People will freak out because, oh my God, God. they just added another quick reign for Charlotte. You know, and and that, but but the positive to that, I will say right now, here's why that would be positive. So it would suck that it's just a bullshit reign for Charlotte. But it would be positive because EO would win without beating Asuka directly for the title. And then you could do the EO Asuka feud for multiple months that everyone wants. So I, there is like a can, silver lining. I think lining you can do the EO Asuka feud. I think you can do the EO Asuka feud if, even if she pins Asuka because she's cashing in. Well, like, yes, you could do that, but not if you're not going to be able to immediately start that feud if she tries to cash in, but like ultimately doesn't. It doesn't become official. And Asuka just retains the title and walks out with the title because then. What is there left for EO? You'd have to have her cash in and fail on the cash in, maybe because of Bailey. Maybe Bailey screws something up. Then Oscar retains and Oscar gives EO a match because she feels bad for her. And it continues that way. So it's how do you create EO and Oscar, which needs to be a longer feud than just EO beating her with the briefcase and then it ending? That's the key of how do you get into that? I don't know. I, I I am very intrigued for that purpose. This could go. We could have four different people walk out with this title, and that's a good feeling. It makes it very difficult to talk about it and predict it, but it makes it, it very intriguing going in. I do think there's no chance Belair wins the title. I will say that. Yeah, of all the people, she has the lowest chance. I would agree. Yes. All right. Let's move to the World Heavyweight Championship match. Seth Rollins defending against Finn Balor on Raw during that Judgment Day promo segment I talked about earlier. Balor said Rollins has been acting insane, but actual insanity is Balor waking up every day, looking at his scars, wanting revenge. Balor said he won't be able to erase his scars, but he will inflict the same ones on Rollins when he beats him for the title. It was only a couple lines, but Balor was on point here for the final build for the match. Again, we did not hear from Rollins all show. I wish we got one more confrontation between them, but they did interact in the main event, which was Seth Rollins and Sami Zayn against Judgment Day. Kevin Owens was not in the building. Finn Balor was ringside. He tripped Rollins on the apron early, but Rollins hit three tope suicidas on Judgment Day later in a really hot run. Ripley distracted with Dom snapping Rollins over the top rope. Sammy destroyed him. That drew Rhea's ire before he got shotgun dropkicked into the barricade by Balor. Damian Priest caught Rollins on the top rope for a razor's edge. He paused, then demanded Balor give him the money in the bank briefcase. Balor delayed, but eventually gave it to him. Rollins super kicked the briefcase into Priest's face. Then he threw it at Dom, which was really funny. Balor tried raking Seth's eyes only to get Haluva kicked off the ring apron by Zayn with Rollins hitting the stomp on Priest for the win. Priest's nose and or mouth was completely busted open. I think it was the nose from the briefcase shot. 
And there Mm -hmm. did not appear after the bell to be direct animosity between Priest and Balor for the delay with the briefcase. Balor did ultimately give it to him and it did look like he was ready to cash it in, but Priest pulled it away from the referee at the last moment. Not having Rollins speak on this episode, as I said earlier, that was odd, but him standing tall at the end of a really strong main event was a positive for a couple of reasons. It may well have given an indication into what we are getting Saturday night, not only because Rollins came out on top, but because of the briefcase spot at the end. More on that in a minute before we get to our predictions. I thought this worked as a main event of Raw. Yes, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, it was repetitive. We've been getting a lot of these Judgment Day tag team matches. First, it was like a six-man with Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, and Kevin Owens. Then it was different combinations of them against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Then Seth Rollins came in. Kevin Owens is hurt. They're trying to get Sammy on the show. They know fans like him. They're trying to get Judgment Day on the show. I didn't really care that it was a little bit of a repetitive match. It was 3.75 stars, B+. I may even go four stars on this. I mean, I was kind of distracted while watching it. It was a great match and a great main event. And I thought it did well enough to give us some build for Rollins-Balor. I just wanted more of it on Raw. I really liked the briefcase spot, like the idea of like, oh, in the middle of the match, like I'm just going to try to cash in now and mm-hmm. Priest like being like, no, wait, do I want to do it now? Oh, wait, he's getting up. He's getting up. Should I hurry up? And then just boom, like that indecision costing him. I just I love that spot so much. I thought they executed that great. Ultimately, the, the match was whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, So we go into this title match now where. They got a great video package for this going into the last one. I hope they get one for this one because we've kind of gotten away a little bit, a bit of the the Finn part of the story. So you seem to think the briefcase is going to come into play here. What are the options? The options are Seth wins. Nothing happens or they they can't cash in. Seth wins. There is a cash in. Uh, Finn wins. There's a cash in or a not cash in. Mm hmm. I think the most likely scenario is Finn with, uh, I'm sorry, Seth wins and Priest cashes in and wins the title. And then Finn tries to be like, hey, I deserve a title shot because I helped you win that. And we continue that breakup spot. So of all the possibilities here, I'm going to say Seth wins and Priest cashes in. Okay. So you talked about a couple minutes ago how all of our predictions are the same, right, on this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are directly opposed here. I think that is definitely (laughs) not going to happen. Here is what I think is going to happen. I've been teasing it on the podcast for the last couple of weeks. I think a lot of what we have gotten with the contentiousness, is that even a word? I think it is. Between Balor and Priest with the briefcase, the teased breakup angle over a month ago at this point, obviously they've come back together. They kind of rekindled that a little bit with the briefcase spot here in the tag team match. I think it's a ploy. I think what's going to end up happening is, first of all, I think Balor and Rollins are going to deliver a match that we expected them to deliver at Money in the Bank, okay? That fell below expectations significantly. We're going to get a high quality match here on SummerSlam. I believe the purpose of that of them not going all out in that match was because they knew the rematch was coming up. Let me get that out of the way. But I do think Finn Balor walks out of here with the World Heavyweight Championship And I hope he does. I really do. Because they have Balor right now. Somehow, Chris, despite the demon coming back and losing to Roman Reigns in the fashion he did, despite the demon coming back again and losing to Edge inside Hell in a Cell in a match 
that Finn Balor absolutely should have won. They absolutely demolished the demon character. Despite all of that happening, they have somehow rebuilt Finn Balor once again into a legitimate main eventer and a legitimate potential champion. And what I believe is that this entire, not the entire storyline necessarily, but the last couple of weeks of what we've gotten with Balor and Priest has been a ruse. It is to trick Seth Rollins into thinking Saturday night at the end of this match that Priest is going to cash in the money in the bank briefcase. He will see it happen. He's probably going to let them have their argument between each other. Maybe he comes over to take advantage of Balor. The referee's turned or the referee's knocked down, whatever the case. Priest drills Rollins in the head with the briefcase or something to that effect. Or Balor catches him from behind with a move, whatever the case. Balor beats Seth Rollins, becomes world heavyweight champion. And not only that, there's no cash in attempt afterward. Priest is happy for Balor. And there's a huge moment at SummerSlam where we have Balor with the world heavyweight championship, Rhea Ripley with the women's world championship, Dominic Mysterio with the North American championship, and Damian Priest with the money in the bank briefcase, all of them holding up their awards, their gold, with the exception of the briefcase simultaneously. And the booking as it goes forward is perhaps Balor um, draws some jealousy from Priest because Priest would want to be champion. Maybe that happens in the future. But what I really think happens is a babyface down the line beats Balor for the title. And as soon as that happens, Priest cashes in and becomes champion himself. That is the booking I believe we're getting. I do not know anything specifically. That's what I think is happening. Balor walks out your new world heavyweight champion. And I'm going to be thrilled if that happens. I love that. If I could pick for what I want to happen, that's exactly what I would want to happen. I want Finn Balor to get that moment that he lost, however many years ago that was, when he won the first Universal Championship and that was taken away and he never got back to that. I love the idea of him getting back to that spot. Um, it's not my pick, but I really hope that happens. I think that would be a really cool moment. It'd be, it'd be the, it would be the, the climax for the Judgment Day, a group that deserves all the gold and everything they're doing. So um, I, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm sticking with my pick. I'd rather us be different anyway. I think priest walks out with the belt, but uh, I'm, I'm rooting for your, I'm rooting for your pick. I love that we're diametrically opposed here. The fact that we're nowhere close to, I mean, I'm literally saying heel wins, no cash. And you're saying baby face plus a cash. And we could not be more different in what we think is going to happen. And I love that because even if we're far apart, we're usually kind of, I mean, even if we pick differently, we're usually close. We're not that far apart. We're completely far apart here. And that's, that's fun going into SummerSlam and seeing what's going to happen. Now, I just now, now what? Now, yeah. Go ahead. What? Now watch ba- what happens is Seth, with Seth wins and there's no cash in, and we, we're both let down. <laughs> or Balor wins and there's a cash in, and Priest wins, and they're breaking up Judgment Day when they're the hottest faction, <laughs> arguably right. right now, because you know Bloodline isn't really a faction anymore, right? So now they're nope. the hottest faction. They ruin it. I don't think that's going to happen. But um, let's not even put that out there. I'm going to knock on my desk right here and and hope that that does not go down. All right, f- let's move, of course, Chris, to the main event the undisputed WWE Universal Championship on the line, Roman Reigns against Jey Uso in a tribal combat match, which is anything goes. On SmackDown, Jey opened the show in the ring. He was immediately interrupted by Roman. Notably, Paul Heyman was no longer carrying the WWE and the Universal titles. Instead, he was physically carrying Reigns' necklace while Reigns was strapped up with the undisputed championship. He said the fans chant for Jay and he has the main event nickname solely because of Roman. Jay reiterated that 
He never wanted to be tribal chief. He wanted to be the right-hand man because he believed in Roman until he broke up their family, which was all his fault. Roman blamed it on Jay's jealousy, saying he asked for a title match once Jimmy went down and only became the right-hand man initially because Jimmy was injured. Ray said Jay screwed Jimmy, his younger brother, respects him, Roman, more. And once Jay loses, he's done. Roman clarified the match is indeed for the championship and the tribal chief title, but said even if he loses, he's still Roman Reigns and his options are endless. Jay said he's already pinned him. Then he put his arm around his neck and said, and I'm gonna do it again. Reigns snarled and Jay got hype. The most successful go-home segments are those that leave the viewer thinking either result could happen in a match. Going into SmackDown, I was 95% that Reigns would retain. Coming out of this, I honestly kind of moved to like 80-20. It still doesn't feel like the most likely outcome, but they sold the hell out of this match. It was a perfect touch with Roman talking and talking and talking, only to be mentally undone with one line from Jay, the reminder that he pinned him. Because guess what? Jay did crack that thought to be impenetrable armor that he had, Roman did, at Money in the Bank. If you remember Reigns' confidence being shaken last month at the end of that match, that memory was brought back to the front of his mind at the end of the segment. And the acting from Roman that he, you could see him recalling that and like almost his that veneer that he had just getting erased, knocked down because of it. It was excellent. And because this lasted only 15 minutes, it didn't suffer from some of what we got with those dull stretches we've pointed out over the last few weeks. So Chris, there's actually more to talk about from SmackDown, but what did you think of that big segment? My thought of that segment was this entire thing is for the purpose of the promo video that we're going <laughs> to get on Saturday. They're recounting things. They're saying things in a way that it's clearly they're going to clip it and they're going to put it in the video. That, that, that's what I took from it. But I like I love the Romans. Like, what makes you think you can do this? What makes you think you can do that? And then Jay's just like, I already beat you. Like, that's all it has to be. Mm -hmm. And that got him more upset. Like, I just I, I thought it was a really good, simple way to respond to last week. I think it was a little bit yeah, going from, hey, the respect, you know, all oh, the elders said this, we respectful. Hey, don't, you know, don't give him the Samoan spike. Don't give Jay the Samoan spike to now we're back to this again. Little inconsistent, but everything was fine. It was good. Well, I think we'll get to that in a little bit. So there's a lot more to talk about coming out of this before we get to our prediction, mm -hmm. which unfortunately is still a ways off because there's more here. I'm not sure if you felt as I did coming out of the segment, Chris, but it seemed like some of what Roman said might have pointed to Jimmy turning on Jay and siding with Roman Saturday. One of our listeners, Craig uh, Fillion at Craig Philly, he actually asked this a couple of weeks back. It was almost like Reigns was laying out a case to Jimmy through the screen. Look how your brother has now taken advantage of your absence, not once, but twice. He's selfish. Now, obviously, that's ridiculous for Jimmy to believe, but it is family. Just wondering if you thought that was somewhat of a tease like I did, or if you think in kayfabe, the bond between Jay and Jimmy is so strong that that shouldn't even be a consideration. Um, It's possible, and it would also open up the question we've had, which is what do these guys do after SummerSlam? Mm -hmm. You know, does Jimmy come back and we set up a Jimmy J feud? 
Maybe. Now, would that be logistically consistent? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's been the one who's been out of the bloodline longer than Jay has. You know, Jimmy was the one who kind of brought Jay out of that. Right. So I don't know if it would really make sense. But I think it's possible. Okay. So we got Jay against Waller, Grayson Waller, later in the show. They got into it backstage. Grayson promised him a spot on the show to get some rub after he loses to Roman. So Jay slapped him. Pierce made the match official. Waller was confident later before the main event. He refused to admit that he provoked Jay. Reigns came out a couple minutes into this match, which is obviously unusual for him. I'm not sure he's actually done that before in this gimmick, or if he has, it's been a long time. Waller did the full people's elbow gimmick is he's now calling it the viral elbow. He added a little twist to it. Roman smirked when he did that, but he took too long. Jay avoided it. Then Jay caught Waller with a super kick off a rolling cutter attempt and followed with a huge spear before looking at Roman, hitting the Uso splash and getting the win. Real quick on this to get it out of the way. I thought they worked well together. Waller got a chance to shine. Going with the people's elbow gimmick. That's incredibly interesting for obvious reasons. I mean, are they really gonna have him go this deep with the rock stuff and not have this guy show up at some point. I have to believe it's happening now. I'm not saying it's SummerSlam, but it feels like they're going to do something with the rock and Waller. I also love the finish with Jay surprising by using the spear. Any thoughts on these items right here? Yeah, I kept thinking just they're leaning into the rock stuff and they're leaning into the rock stuff when Roman Reigns and the family is there, mm-hmm. like, you know, like maybe, maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe not. If we're ever going to do Roman rock, probably not going to be at WrestleMania 40. If we think it's going to be Roman Cody in it, cause he still has the titles, mm-hmm. but it did make you wonder, Hey, does the rock show up at SummerSlam or, you know, we, we've only got eight matches. Do we get Grayson Waller comes out, talk shit to the crowd. The rock shows up and rock bottoms him and that's it. Like, right. I could see that happening. Totally. Um, uh, yeah, everything. That, yeah, that was the other thing I wrote down. Grayson Waller could have said or can say as this is going on, like if he's going to keep egging on the rock, say Roman Reigns is the true tribal chief of the family. And oh, yeah, not you totally. You know? Yeah, like you can you can lean into that a lot more Um, so that that was good. And then my, my overall thought on, on the J part of this was they really have you believing in Jey Uso. Mm-hmm. You know, he's getting over on Roman a lot. He's not going to win at SummerSlam. Spoiler alert, that's my pick. I'm sure it's your pick. But they've uh, really I don't know. put I come on. <laughs> they've really put they've really put in the work to make you believe that even when Jey Uso loses to Roman, that he is a guy you can believe in outside of whatever it is. So Credit to them for that. The crowd is really behind Jay. I said this last week, but like we're going into a SummerSlam main event with Jay Uso as a singles wrestler in a SummerSlam main event. And we're cool with it. It works. They've done a great job building him up and they continued that with the end of SmackDown. Yeah, forget cool with it. I'm more than cool with it. Like, I mean, it's it's fantastic. Now, after this match, uh, Solo Sokoa attacked Jay. Reigns gave the okay for the Samoan spike. Jay ducked it. Then Roman ran into the ring, but Jay avoided him and hit a thunderous spear off the ropes. The crowd went ballistic. As he tried the Uso splash, Sokoa pushed him off the ropes before hitting spinning solo and then linking with Reigns for their combined spear Samoan spike finisher. Reigns and Sokoa screamed at Jay after the bell, 
only for Roman to get completely unraveled by the fans chanting, you got pinned. He demanded Jay get picked up, and they did another spear Samoan spy combo to end the show with Reigns standing tall with the championship and the necklace on the top rope that ended SmackDown. This was phenomenal and absolutely blistering from a crowd response standpoint. They exploded on that spear that Jay did to Roman. Honestly, the most impressive part of this segment, Reigns slid into the ring. He actually slipped when he stood up and fell. Yet he somehow got back to his feet in time to still, it would take me like 30 seconds to get back to my feet. Roman Reigns hopped right back up, still in enough time to eat the spear. And that was only, they only had half of the ring because Roman was in the middle of the ring when that happened. I also do wonder if the double spear spike was planned or if the second one was total improv based on the crowd reaction. Now, normally, Chris, we would point to the finish as an indication that the opposite is going to happen at SummerSlam, except this coming Friday is technically the go-home show. This was not what we're talking about right now. And Jay can still come out on top before the PLE. So I want you to talk about this, but I also want you to answer this question. Do you think they should have saved Jay using the spear for SummerSlam? Don't get me wrong. It made a nuclear hot moment, but it wasn't the go-home show. And the pop, if he hit that for the first time during their match with the 2.9 false finish, you may not have made it out of forward field. It may have imploded, okay, if he did that at SummerSlam for the first time. Do you think they should have saved it? And what did you think about this attack? Obviously, I thought it was phenomenal. The attack was great. I was going to mention Roman slipping as well. Um, so the fact that you did, you you covered that. The spear part is interesting because, like, it always gets a huge crowd reaction in a match. But in the back of your head, you know it's never going to finish a match. You know, The Rock never beats Stone Cold with a stunner. <laughs> you know, like, it's not, it's just it never happens. But mm-hmm. the reaction to Jay hitting it out of nowhere would have been huge. I, th- I still think it's going to be huge. If he had not done that on this SmackDown, if he had broken out the spear for the first time in the match, yes, the building would have exploded. Uh, So in in that sense, like, I don't know, are are you giving up a little bit of the pop by doing it here? Maybe. But like I said, Jay, even though Jay got beat up at the end of the segment, he looked great. And he again got over on Roman. And we presume he'll get over on Roman again at... Uh, on this Friday, mm-hmm. only to lose on Saturday. So I, I think it ultimately accomplished it. I'm curious, do they break out the spear again? And suddenly it's like, hey, Jake can hit this spear on Roman and Definitely. Roman's not ready for it. Yeah. Will he use it in the match? Could it, could he win the match with it? You know, like, do, do they lean into that or do they pull away? I don't know. But it, w- it was certainly a great segment that the crowd was going nuts for. It was. I, I thought this was a killer segment, top to bottom. You mentioned the inconsistency of them attacking Jay here, but not doing previously. I don't think that was inconsistent at all. I just wanted to add this before we get to our predictions. They didn't do the attack or, or Roman didn't let Sokoa attack Jay in that, what was it called? The rules of engagement. That wasn't really rules of engagement um, because that was like almost ceremonial where they had come to this agreement to do tribal combat and Reigns didn't want to sully it with an attack. Here, They had just jawed at each other and moving into this, they clearly, Jay was wrestling and Reigns wants to get over on the guy that he's fighting uh, before the big event. So I saw no inconsistency with that because last week I thought, or I guess two weeks ago, technically was such a 
ceremonial type of moment that it required. I mean, they don't forget, they shook hands and put their foreheads together in that moment. And then right. Sokoa tried to attack him after that when he would have been prone. Here, they weren't in that mindset. They were wrestlers in our wrestling ring, freaking wrestling, as Drew McIntyre would say. You could also make the case that, look, look, Roman didn't want Solo to attack Jay, but then Jay attacked Solo. So then, hey, that's out the window now. Now we can now we can respond in due kind. Yeah, that definitely works as an explanation as well. That's a really good point. All right, Chris, um, let's get to our predictions for the match. You said Roman Reigns. Do you have anything else you want to say about that before I give mine? No, I think I've said it all. I, I think I just hope you get a couple of good false finishes where you think for a split second that Jay might actually win. That's ultimately what you need. Roman has done a great job of that, elevating so many guys throughout this feud. Drew McIntyre, Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn. Um, we, just give us a spot or two where we think Jay's going to win. And, and that happens. I also think Roman needs to win clean. I'm kind of tired of the solo interferes Roman mm-hmm. wins thing in these big matches. Give Roman a clean win. He hasn't won in a while. He lost at the last two pay-per-views, I think. Night of Champions yeah, or Clash of Champions or whatever it was. He lost at Money in the Bank. He needs a win. He needs a big win to kind of remind us who he is. This is also his first title defense since WrestleMania. Let's make that very clear, okay? And we've been yeah, criticizing that. that. Too. I mean, for a reason. You know, they were doing the tag team storyline, the family storyline. It made sense what they did, but it would have been nice if there was a title defense somewhere in between it. So, you know, your prediction is Roman Reigns, and I think that's a very good prediction. But this is SummerSlam, after all. And this, what have we talked about with this bloodline story? That it started with Jay, and it needs to end with Jay. And the future, as many have said, is indeed uncertain. You also said something, Chris, on this episode that was very interesting. What the hell does Roman do if he beats Jay after this? Who challenges him? Does he fight? Does he defend the title? WrestleMania is still really far off. And for that reason, my prediction is Roman Reigns retaining the Undisputed Championship. I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. I don't know where I was going. There's there's no way that Jay wins this title. I mean, look, it could happen, right? It could. Um, You can make a case that Jay wins, Reigns wins it back at payback and still takes his title into WrestleMania and they do everything else that they're going to do, but they give Jay a huge moment in between. But again, we've talked about this, okay? Like the Sami Zayn story, you know, he he lost to Roman Reigns one-on-one, but he got his moment, um, you know, at least in front of his hometown crowd in Montreal. And then he got his moment at WrestleMania, winning the tag team titles with his best friend. Cody Rhodes lost to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. It's pretty clear. You want to talk about the American Nightmare documentary, the way they're building him with a Brock Lesnar feud, second only to Reigns in the entire company in terms of how built up they are. It does seem pretty clear that Cody Rhodes is probably going to take the title eventually off Roman Reigns. And for Jay, they gave him the first pinfall victory over Roman Reigns in three years. That was his moment. And now he gets to main event a SummerSlam, which if I told you, you know, two years ago, even that Roman Reigns and Jey Uso would main event SummerSlam. You would say, oh, maybe Payback or Fastlane, not SummerSlam. They're main eventing SummerSlam. This is Jay's moment. He's not going to win the undisputed WWE Universal Championship on this show. In terms of the way the match finishes, I do completely agree with you. It would be great if Reigns beats him clean, but Jay looks like he gave every ounce of effort and went as far as he could possibly go and took him to the absolute limit 
but ultimately Roman Reigns got the win. I really don't want Solo Sokoa factoring in. I really don't want Jimmy factoring in. I want this to be a tribal combat. I want this to be, were you the one who mentioned it was similar to like in Black Panther where you had to challenge the Black Panther if you wanted to be king or I forget the terminology. I'm not a total yeah, Marvel it's, dork. It's generally, it's it's a it's a fight to the death. If you challenge for the, the throne, like you, either you win it or you die usually. Right, so you know, obviously Jay's not going to die, but I feel like it should be similar to that where it goes to such great lengths that Jay just gives it at all. He spends every ounce of energy and passion and opportunity that he has and ultimately just falls short and how it ends, whether Reigns gives him his respect, maybe he welcomes them back in. There's so many different ways they could do it, but I do think the point that you made is, is key. It should be a clean victory for Roman Reigns. I don't know that it will be, but it should be. Ultimately, though, we're on the same page. Reigns walks out of SummerSlam. Still, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. So, Chris, I would love, I would love the solo Simone Spike Roman Spear the same way you ended with Cody, but Jay kicks out, and now you're thinking, oh man. What does Roman have to do to win this match? I hope we get that spot. Maybe Jimmy comes in, chases Solo away, and we mm-hmm. get the two of them at some point. Solo's going to interfere. We know that. I hope Jay gets a kick out out of it. That's actually a good, doing a kick out there, Jimmy comes, chases Solo away. Then we get like five more minutes with a couple hope spots for Jay, but Reigns ultimately just mm-hmm. beats him. That's a good idea. I like the way that would be booked. But yeah, you know, and again, Reigns retaining the title here, that's kind of another reason why I do think we're going to get a title change for the World Heavyweight Championship. It plays into that. It just makes a lot of sense for me for them to do that. With all of that said, that is our full ultimate preview for WWE SummerSlam. That means we are left with giving our pre-show expectation grades. A reminder for all of our listeners, we will have a pre-show poll and a post-show poll posted to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. The pre-show probably... 7 p.m. Eastern, one hour before SummerSlam begins. All of you will get the opportunity to provide your pre-show expectation grades and your post-show grades. Chris and I will also attempt to do a live show for you on Twitter Spaces, a WWE SummerSlam pre-show. Stay tuned for that. Chris, of course, is going to be in attendance. That may prove to be difficult. We've We've succeeded doing this in the past. We will try and effort to do it again. But Chris, it is time to give our pre-show expectation grades for SummerSlam. With that said, I always let you go first. When we get to this point, what is your grade leading into SummerSlam? Gonna go with an A minus that is impacted by me being there. I I borderline did it an A, but just like I did for WrestleMania going in just because I'm gonna be there. But again, WWE delivers on these big shows every time and we've got a lot of big matches cody brock seth finn roman j ricochet logan paul like gunther drew like every i'm looking forward to every single match in this we're going to get an la night moment as i'm talking this out i'm changing it i'm going to an a i just (laughs) i'm looking i mean i'm interested in every single thing on this card even if most of the results are obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to get some great matches. I think we'll get some surprises. I think we'll get some LA night moments and I'm going to be there. So I'm going to push that up to an A. It is an absolutely loaded card. I mean, I am legitimately disappointed that Rhea Ripley is not on the card. I understand why, you know, the Liv Morgan injury just 
it, it killed it. Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus, it should be on the card. I'm not overly upset that it's not. I, it just really feels like there should be one more women's match of stature because Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, while it does have my attention, it only holds so much of my interest kind of coming into this. But again, Finn Balor and Seth Rollins, the match that we were supposed to get at Money in the Bank, you know, at least in terms of quality, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso with all the storyline implications. The women's match for SmackDown, I think we agree that the storyline was dog shit, but it is Asuka, Charlotte Flair, and Bianca Belair, and we know what they all can do. Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar should probably be a barn burner. Gunther, Drew McIntyre may steal the entire show. And Ricochet, Logan Paul, for a low-card match, it's not really that low-card. And then, of course, the Battle Royal, which they'll throw in somewhere and get a big pop for Ellie Knight, whether he wins or does not. You are right that it is an absolutely loaded show. And it does have, I mean, it has A-plus potential. It has a ceiling of an A-plus. But it takes a lot for me to go into a show with an expectation grade of an A, and I'm not going to do that here, but I am close. I will go in with an expectation grade of an A-. minus. It would be very difficult for this card to not deliver one of those top-level grades. And I will mention this as our official Getting Overheads did read those who subscribe and support us. I have been told, I'm not going to give away any results or anything like that. I don't know really any results. Let me be clear about that. I have been told that Triple H sees SummerSlam as his signature show, his opportunity to make a mark on the product every year other than WrestleMania. I mean, it's obvious that SummerSlam is a big show, but you know, think about it kind of the way like AEW uses the Chicago shows and the Las Vegas shows. Triple H, his first time holding the book for a major you know, program, major premium live event, was SummerSlam one year ago. He has that book still. He's been doing largely a great job, not perfect, but he's doing a great job. And what I was told is that whether it's surprises, returns, debuts, whatever the case might be, SummerSlam will be memorable. And if I'm going to be told going in that a show is going to be memorable, and I already think the card is stacked, then I have to be in that top level range. So it is an A minus expectation grade for me. You, Chris, are at an A. And a reminder, all of you, our listeners, can vote with your pre-show expectation grade in our poll posted on Twitter at Getting Overcast about one hour before SummerSlam on Saturday. We will also try to do the live show on Twitter Spaces with Vintage from Detroit and we will have our post-show grade as soon as SummerSlam goes off the air while we simultaneously tape your WWE SummerSlam Instant Reaction Podcast coming Saturday night as soon as that show ends. And look, this has been an exceedingly long edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, but that does normally happen when we give you the ultimate previews for events like SummerSlam and WrestleMania. We absolutely love bringing it to you. I know Chris needs to get to Detroit the Silver King has a ton of work to do, so let's wrap up this show as we always do. First, with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So please leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you leave the five-star review on Apple, we'll read it here live right on the show, just like we did with those reviews earlier. Also, don't forget, I happen to love the number five. And if you want to support the show, if you want to get into those news posts and the bonus audio please visit us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year. You become an official getting overhead. You support the show and you get all that bonus content. 
Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can vote in our pre and post show polls for SummerSlam. You can join us for our live show Saturday before SummerSlam on Twitter Spaces. Also, please do not forget what is still to come this week. We will have an NXT and AEW show coming at you on Thursday. And then Saturday, as soon as SummerSlam goes off the air, we will have your WWE SummerSlam Instant Reaction Podcast, last year's equivalent show, one of our most listened to of all time. And I hope that we set new records this coming Saturday into Sunday, Monday, and onwards. Of course, next week, same bat time, same bat channel. We will be back with your next WWE edition. We'll talk Fallout from SummerSlam, things that happened on SmackDown that didn't have to do with SummerSlam, everything from the Raw after SummerSlam. And we will cover two major topics, one year of Triple H holding the book in WWE and American Nightmare Becoming Cody Rhodes documentary on Peacock. As I said, a ton to come still in the next seven days right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. 